0: My name is Will Spencer, and you're listening to the Renaissance of Men podcast, a place for extended, in-depth discussions about the rebirth of virtuous masculinity happening around the world today. My guest this week is an influencer, guru, thought leader, tech bro, and a few other things I probably shouldn't name. He's here to give us his more or less deep insights into the intersection of psychedelics, spiritual capitalism, and divine egocentricity. Please welcome, down from the mountaintop of his self-regard, the one and only Peter Las Plantas.
1: This is a time of transformation. As old ways fall, men are called to rise, to heal our lives, grow strong, and transcend our limitations. In tribes around the world, Drawing on the best of masculinity from all of time, a new day is beginning. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance.
0: As my listeners know, I spent many years navigating through the New Age world, which is a bit hard to explain for those who haven't been in it. One of the unique features of the world, however, is the presence of specific big fish in the small, murky pond. We might know them better as influencers. Now, these big fish are often hard to catch. They're busy with self-indulgent morning routines, managing their psychedelics addiction, and generally pondering their own outstanding natures as they make their personas and life goals into the subject of their idolatry. Because if you don't actually believe in God, you got to believe in yourself, right? Which brings me to my guest this week and have I got a treat for you. I managed to secure an exclusive interview with one of the most important New Age influencers you've probably never heard of, but that's likely just a testament to how influential he is. His name is Peter Las Plantas, and he's absolutely one of the most enlightened men that he's ever met. And as you'll hear in our interview, the cosmos is above him and nothing is beneath him. This lends him a unique perspective that I think you're almost definitely about to listen to. In our conversation we discussed how marketing funnels are the shortest route to enlightenment. Where ayahuasca really came from, and it's not the jungle. Why physical beauty directly equates to moral uprightness. How and why to do psychedelics at the office. Manipulating women to bring out their divine feminine nature. And why building high-priced retreat centers in impoverished jungle areas is absolutely not neocolonialism. If you enjoy the Renaissance of Men podcast, thank you. And I'm praying you still will after this interview. So please stick around after the first hour or so for some important information that'll make it all make sense. And please welcome this week's guest on the podcast, summoned from deep within the depths of his own navel-gazing, I mean stargazing, down from enlightenment to speak with us common folk whose money and attention he so deeply respects. I'm proud to introduce Peter Lasplantas. Peter Las Plantas honor to have you on and i'm really looking forward to this dialogue together
2: thank you for having me brother i'm really excited to be here and to share my uh, knowledge with you guys
0: excellent well you know i've been uh, i've been following your work for a while and uh and i've uh, I've, I've really i've learned a lot of things from it i've, I've discovered a yeah. lot of stuff i didn't know and i'm, I'm kind of wondering were you always this highly spiritually evolved well you know what
2: I, before we 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 get into that i'd just like to to take a minute uh, to really because, uh, you know as 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 being the leading visionary uh who sat with all these plant medicines, but that was just so the plants could get a first hand experience of what it looks like to be a fully realized and integrated beings. My ideas can sometimes be so advanced in the aquarian age that most of your audience won't even be able to grasp it so I think the best thing to do would just ground them with a short meditation if you're open to that. I, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Let's. Uh, okay. It'll also help to clear up all this non-peak state of masculine energy that's over here that's in this space. So, yeah. Let's uh, let's get into it. Um, so, as we begin, let's just acknowledge this sacred, special, sacred land that we are here on. That was given to us by Henrik. Their real estate mogul who built the sacred retreat center, mm. and of course, I'd like to, I'd like to honor grandmother Aya for for all that she's done and shown me. Sorry, one second. Oh, shit. sorry, I'm just getting one one second. That's fine, Grandma. I've told you not to fucking call me when I'm on these podcasts. Given the downloads, you know what? Yeah, they'll. The space will figure it out for you. You're, you'll be fine. Stop whining about it. Sorry, that was my actual grandma. Um, uh, was that Grandma Aya? No, no, it's that like Grandma Aya is amazing. My actual grandma's a bit of a pain. You know, ever since she stopped being able to contribute to us in a meaningful way, we just left her there to die. But anyway, enough of the shadow work. Let's get mm. back into the compassion meditation, which is also a huge life hack. So yeah, so this meditation is for all levels of solanas. I mean souls. Uh, Whether it's just starting on the journey of spirituality and using it to gain more material wealth and status, or if you're a fully initiated bodhisattva who's building an empire of real estate projects and products and services that pretend to help humanity, but actually just profit off the collapse of a failing society. So let's begin by grounding into our sit bones and being with whatever it is that is here right now. Opening up our heart and our marketing chakra. Breathing in all the light and exhaling all the gruesome, horrific, heart-shattering, systemic hardships of being born a white male in a first world country. Just let it all go. Breathe it out. Yeah. And with the next breath, just breathing out all the negativity of the women around you who aren't bisexual. And then just breathing in some more retreat spaces to host medicine journeys you're not qualified to hold. And on the final breath, when you're ready, just imagine all the ancient sentient light beings like Tesla and the Rockefellers and Christopher Columbus and visualize a healing purple light coming in straight from the cosmos and blasting away anyone who doesn't agree with your views on polyamory and daily plant medicine use. Well, now, yeah, and now let's just close this by anchoring in the spirit of compassion and service to humanity by selling them more courses, supplements, and retreats with this ancient Tibetan incantation. It goes,
3: Venmo. Wow.
2: Don't you just feel all that clearing that just happened? Yeah. Yeah, very (gasps) powerful. Wow. Yeah. So all right. So, coming back to your question. Uh, yeah, I guess, was I always this spiritually evolved? I mean, yeah, I was always initiated into the spirit world. Uh, I mean, maybe it's because of my humble grassroots salt of the earth beginnings as one of the common people being the son of an oil tycoon. Or maybe it's the eight private schools that I got kicked out of. Or maybe it's the supplement startup that I just bootstrapped with a petty seven million. And the Amex black card that I got for my eighth birthday, and my dad's offshore Cayman Island account and my grandfather's inheritance. But yeah, it was just bootstrapped. We built this baby with my own two hands. I mean, my servant's hands, but yeah, our blood, sweat, and tears. I mean, their blood, sweat, and tears. But yeah, it was when I was in my late 20s that I discovered plant medicine. And it was, it just transformed my life uh, because it was during this phase I was in this deep deep depression that no amount of yachts or summering the Hamptons with silk robes with escorts flown in from Venezuela to tongue tickle my stinker each morning could placate. It was just, I reached this rock bottom. And it was then that a friend gave me a book by this guy called Mm. Yogananda. And I don't know if if you've heard of him or not, but that was like, that was the most pivotal moment in my life. Autobiography of a Yogi? You know, I, I took that book. Yeah, I've read it. Yeah. Oh my goodness. It's like, it's a, it's it's a big one, isn't it? Um, so I took that book and then I crushed a rock of pure ketamine on it, which I took to help me come down off the LSD that I took to come down off the cocaine. And it was in that moment that God spoke to me. And then I was God and I was also a dragon. But in that moment, I saw the entire cosmic riddle, the endless cycles of birth and death and loss and suffering of being cast into the samsara with the illusion of the Maya, only for us to spend lifetime to realize that one truth. That I am the one who's behind the I am. The infinite one who was never born, will never die, and will never have to wait to get a restaurant reservation. And ever since then, I've lived in a complete flow state as an awakened being. And so I did what every sage has done over the centuries, like Buddha or Richard Branson. I left my enormous empire of wealth, comfort, and luxury, and grueled it out in the big bad world of duality, armed only with ambition, a strong will for awakening, and a bag of unmarked builds and 13 kilograms of gold bricks. And then I went through the great white shamanic cycle of life. Have you heard of it? I haven't. No, this is new. It's, it's a pretty, it's, a, it's like the whole circle of life. So how it starts is like there's a white guy who has everything given to him, but is still dissatisfied with life. He blows his trust fund on drugs, and then he begins watching a bunch of conspiracy documentaries and then has ayahuasca and faces complete ego death. Then he'll get a custom hat and custom branding and a podcast to talk about his ego death. He'll then go on to create a bogus line of spiritual products and services for the empire of spiritual consumerism, like a mushroom chocolate brand. And then he'll use his decades of network marketing experience to prey on the insecurities of people who are living in a failed society to sell them salvation for $50,000 a pop for an ayahuasca ceremony. And then finally, he's going to buy a land, build a retreat center, and name it something Sanskrit and rake in millions just for healing the collective while catering only to the white, rich, spiritual enthusiast, chemical mystics, and CEO. So yeah, I'm just out here living this path of love, dressed in these malas and these linen pants uh, as a fully awakened being who's aligned his karma with his dharma, with the single mountains. And I'm just committed to the sacred mission of being a sacred masculine tech bro turned medicine man, turned retreat center holder, turned conscious festival thrower, turned psychedelic startup guru.
0: Woof. Wow. That's powerful. Oh, Man, that's that's quite a story about a, a funnel. I mean, I mean a journey. Really really powerful the way that you uh that you yeah. recount, recounted that. I I can hear um I can hear some some real some real struggles in there somewhere.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's like, you know, just do you know what it's like to only have an Amex black at the age of 8 while all your friends have Emer- Amex Sapphire cards and like their own yachts it was really really difficult wow.
0: the suffering yeah the real suffering of, of the duality in that moment must have been must have been a lot to overcome i mean
2: it is a lot to overcome
0: and i don't like to talk about it unless i'm sharing my backstory mm. or i'm
2: about to sell another product uh but yeah it's 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 quite a lot but it's you know it's it's things like this that build character and that's why i'm i'm in this elevated social position talking to all the people because all these difficult grueling experiences that I've had
0: yeah you've you've clearly, you've clearly built a, a legendary character. I'm sure you'd agree
2: I, I, I really have. I mean it's not for me to say it. I think it's just uh, I, I've inspired so many people. It's just that, yeah, I think like in, in the Vedas it was it was written about my character as well, just because it's just been so inspiring, and I know the Vedas was written a long time ago, but sometimes your character can just be so strong that it just kind of goes it just transcends the bound of linear space-time. Mm, how does it
0: feel being the subject of prophecy?
2: Well, you know what? It's a lot It's a lot to handle, to be honest, because it's, it's like all these people's attention towards you, and it's like all this money coming towards you, and all these women throwing themselves at you, and it's, it's a lot. And it really just requires me to be really grounded in, in, in the reason, in my mission, and just really being a really being centered with my mission helps and having an incredible uh, morning routine definitely helps with that as well, yeah.
0: Mm. Uh, can you walk the listeners a bit through your morning routine and how you stay grounded and humble?
2: Yeah, I, I'd, be, I'd love to. So my morning routine starts somewhere, usually uh, on a typical day, I'll sleep in till about 3 a.m. And then I wake up and I allow the sun to experience me uh, and then I'll do some ice baths, and then I'll consume every trending health food known to man, and about five thousand dollars worth of neurotropics, and then do a microdose of mushrooms, and then a microdose of ketamine, and then just a teeny microdose of peyote, just to ground me. Mm. And then I'll go into this drug fueled rampage of quoting myself and shouting affirmations for a few minutes as I journal about more things I want to have. I am beautiful. I am powerful. I am rich. And yeah, and the morning routine will usually take me to about 2 p.m. And then I'll, you know, get online, close some deals and do a few IG lives, giving people my downloads, which is really highly inappropriate life advice that stems from my total disconnection to humanity because I've never really faced any sort of real struggles um, or don't really have any adult responsibilities or a wife or children. And the biggest commitment I've had to make was which Airbnb to choose as I spend Every waking moment, obsessing up over plant medicine, scaling, and polarity with the feminine. So that's usually what it takes to be in this kind of peak state of masculinity.
0: Wow, wow, that's uh, that's that's quite a that's quite a routine. I, I can I can relate to um, none of that, but I mean, I definitely know that there are probably a couple people out there who for whom that's very real.
2: Yeah, I mean, the, the best part of the day is the is is the morning routine. You got to self your, set yourself up for right. Really do all those meditations and all the spiritual practices, so you can bring in more money, uh, because that's really how you, the world will know you're spiritually aligned. So
0: yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Now you mentioned your experience with uh, with plant medicines and and with uh, with with grandma and grandma Ayo. So so how did you? So we have that in common. I've done a number of ayahuasca retreats uh, in in Peru and the United States as well. So how did you? discover ayahuasca and and maybe share with the audience what some of your early experiences were
2: like even just saying the name puts me back into these the medicine space so it's a super it's a super powerful thing for me you know Um, uh, and it was even more powerful for the ayahuasca when uh, when i ingested her i mean i listen i don't i I don't want to make a big deal about this or anything but Jaguars actually have a picture of me roaring as their screensaver on their iPhone, wow. and it's been said that snakes. Yeah, and it's been said that snakes actually get tattoos of me so that their kundalini can rise faster. So, yeah, it's it's a lot of being this prophetic leader of the Aquarian Age, and uh, just I mean, if I know you must have heard of this, and just to let your audience know that the legends actually are true—that you know, one day deep, deep in the Amazon the chief of the Awinawe and the Shibibo tribes they got together because they had this prophetic dream and the dream said that maybe instead of actually certainly instead of sharing the medicines for free as a way for communities and families to heal and having it freely accessible because it was a gift from the earth to all of humanity they should instead start to own it and then sell this medicine not only only to the most wealthy tribes and then use that money to get nicer headdresses and build bigger huts, which they could then use as a way to show the other villages that if they were clearly more connected to God because they had a bigger hut, more goats and more wives. Mm. And should the said villagers want to experience these bigger huts, I mean God, they just needed to pay a small fee so they too could see past the illusion of Maya and earn salvation from the big dream of separation by having a bigger hut. Mm. So after this dream, the tribes all sent their leaders to me to come live with me in the ancient Valleys of Silicon, and learn the ancient ancestral ways. The tribes of Bay Area, mm, very powerful. I mean, I I remember it was just like it was yesterday. I just come from my third chest workout of the day, and as I sat with the shibipo chief deep in the ancestral jungles of Nomade in Tulum, he was immediately sent into the astrals by a single whiff of the scent of my high flow state, peak masculine testosterone pectoral sweat that dripped right from here. So he grabbed this and he started to bottle it. And then they took this back and started to use this to study it. And when they got a whiff of this chest, my pectoral sweat, they began weeping in sheer ecstasy. The kind of ecstasy that comes with the union with the divine, or from selling your new masterclass, or convincing your new girlfriend that she's actually into polyamory and is bisexual. Mm. It was it was really, really moving. So anyways, I then taught them these songs and they immediately bottled my pectoral sweat and took the sacrament back into the Amazons where they fermented it over weeks and prayed over it. And then they start to inject tree roots in the jungle with my peak state masculine sweat. And this is what is known to the rest of the world as ayahuasca. So technically, you're welcome, ayahuasca.
0: Wow. Wow. That's a, That's a really that's a that's a really incredible story. I, I hadn't actually I hadn't actually heard that before, but that explains that explains so much. You know, it, it definitely goes a long way to explaining um you know some of the visions that that people have have had of, of you that they get na- then tattooed. Yeah. It must be awkward seeing all the tattoos of your own face. Like this is grandmother ayahuasca. It's like, well, technically Yeah, I mean it
2: it does, but you you get used to this kind of stuff, you know. It's like yeah. it's like when I go out to the medicine ceremonies, like you know the people just—they just want to sit around me and just—they're like we don't even need the medicine. Like we'll just sit around your presence and and you know when I go out for a walk sometimes the toad will want to just rub up against me so that they can get high. But it's it's uh, you know it's it's not an easy path to follow, but someone's got to do it, right? So I'm doing it for all of us.
0: Man, such a such an act of service, such an act of service. Yeah, I, I remember uh, remember watching one of your videos where you talked about how trees hug you, and I was like, wow, I got to talk to that yeah. guy.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, I, I wasn't going to bring this up, but, you know, the last time I actually saw the lunar eclipse, the, the moon was so fulfilled after that, she didn't come out for three weeks after. So I tried not to go out during the full moons just for everyone else's safety.
0: Mm-hmm. And I really liked how you helped introduce these, uh, these, uh, these native tribes to the concept of leverage. It's really important that they be aware yeah. of these fundamental spiritual economic um, opportunities that you bring that you bring to them—that's so important for their way of life.
2: Yeah, I mean, they were just sitting there in the mud, giving this medicine away for free, and I was like, "Wait, you guys could be making so much money by healing these people." And so, I'm just, I'm just, just happy to be a beacon of light in their dark, uh, rural, uh, primitive world. It's, it's really
0: an honor. Very, very compassionate. Very compassionate. So we've, we've talked about some of the other, uh, we've talked about a lot of psychedelic drugs that are part of like, for example, your morning and early afternoon routine. Um, which ones, um, mm. I, I mean, you've tra- you, mentioned, you mentioned ketamine, but which other drugs have you tried or which ones haven't you tried?
2: First of all, I'd just like to get a little clear over here that mm. these are not drugs. These are sacred medicines mm. sold by shady individuals in robes for profit, not like the big pharma kind of robes of, no. where doctors are selling these, these medicines and pills like they've been doing for the entire you know past century. Uh, these guys that are selling these medicines, they actually have professional linen tulum robes. And instead of medical degree, <laughs> medical degree, they have a slow speaking, eye gazing, and a voice inside their heads that, told, that tells them that they are in fact here to be the chosen ones to help and serve humanity and serve them by asking for a sliding scale donation of $500 to $5,000 to hold space for their mushroom journey Mm. as they bang on pots and pans and candlelight, calling it a sound healing. I mean, speaking of of medicines that I've tried, I mean, the last time I did 5-MeO, I scaled so hard that they had to change the name to 7-MeO because I won't even look at something if it's not scaling to seven digits. So yeah, I did the 7-MeO. Mushrooms, kind of, yeah, I've done that. I already told you about the ayahuasca. So, yeah, I've, I've kind of tried all the psychedelic drugs because I find the best way to heal the collective of humanity is to build my personal brand by talking about my drug induced visions and selling more products and courses and retreats and events to further my own spiritual brand instead of actually doing anything to work on solving the problems of the world, like, you know, problems like systemic racism or climate change or. Women being sold into sexual slavery and orphans not having enough food to eat. I mean, who has time to focus on those low vibrational realities when there's such big epidemics that we're faced with, like, like the polarities between men and women, like, who has and like semen retention. Like, I mean, honestly, if these poor people just did some psychedelics and came to one of my retreats, they wouldn't be poor anymore, and if. The women did it too. Maybe, maybe they would start to be paid the same as, as us. So mm-hmm. yeah. So anyways, after my first experience of oneness and searing our inherent interconnectedness of all human beings, I woke up from the illusion and I immediately canceled the health insurance of all my employees. So
0: yeah, that's a, that is a, that is a very, uh, that's a, that's a real way to put people into the moment i mean it is the moment because who needs all these matrix things like
2: childcare and dental insurance when i could just prescribe you some microdose mushrooms and uh and like give you a personalized relaxation sound healing meditation that i made in which i'm speaking to the ocean to help the ocean relax i mean why would you want childcare when you could just have microdose of mushrooms
0: literally the same thing literally identical I mean, if you, can't, yeah. if you can't see the difference between childcare and microdosing mushrooms, it's your own limited perception, yeah. clearly. And that's what I'm trying to help them expand into, you know, just expand into this newer reality that, hey,
2: you don't need things like, I don't know, like health insurance or dental coverage. It's like, just live in the moment, like live in the moment and you're going to be just fine. just, if they could just be in a peak state all the time, like how I am, it's just like these things won't even matter them. But that's why I guess they're the servants and I'm the master and the ruler. So each, I mean, everyone's got to fulfill their legacy, right?
0: Have you ever considered starting a podcast to, to, to share, or maybe you mentioned earlier, to share some of these ideas more broadly? Because I, I think more people um, more people would, would really be impacted by them um, in various dangerous ways.
2: Yeah, you know what? I've actually considered that a lot. I mean, every, it's like, I think it's just, uh, you know, being this, this prophetic messenger of our, our, of our times, like I'm one of the truly most visionary leaders. And I mean, what else could help humanity than listening and seeing two white guys talk about their problems and their views on life? It's like, could there really be anything more incredibly relevant to all of humanity and society? I think not. So yeah, we're on where, I mean, I I can't really talk about it too much because it's, it's under, uh, I've signed a few NDAs with, uh, with some big companies, um, but yeah, there's some things coming out in the, in the pipeline and uh, yeah, the world is really, really going to shift. I mean, this is what is called the Aquarian age. The coming of the Aquarian age is when actually my podcast drops. So yeah, I'm excited for how the world will benefit by hearing me talk about myself and the challenges that I faced trying, trying to find my wife uh, and making her uh, bisexual.
0: That sounds that sounds like something that a lot of people will will uh, listen to, for sure. I can just imagine uh-huh. you in front of a, a wall of flowers, wearing flowers, and just really proclaiming your excellence to, to everybody and, and everyone yeah. just bowing down.
2: And I think the people that would be most interested is all those, you know, as being the superior, this incredible masculine figure. I think the people that I'm most relevant to are all men between the ages of 20 to 50 who basically grew up without a good masculine father figure and have no actual brotherhood relations. And so they have this deep void in their life that they're trying to fill through uh, an actual connection with uh, a man that they admire and they look up to. And so boom, I come in, use all my network marketing to be able to fill this void and to give them this sense of belonging that society is not giving them. Because these men are just focused on their careers and yeah, it's like this void can only be filled by something as incredible as my personal brand.
0: An incredible opportunity to sell courses as well. Yeah. 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 Let's see. Well, that's a. So do you find that? Let's wait for this. Where do you live? <laughs> Where does your friend live by a police station?
2: Yeah, it's just they're lining up because they thought I was doing. Yeah. Yeah. They, they knew that there was going to be female audiences listening. Oh, so they're just here for the safety in case all the females want to just break into my house, which happens all the time.
0: Oh, yeah, that's that's very thoughtful. They're they're cordoning off the area. You know, it's just too much energy. Yeah, it was Billie Jean isn't the only one that had to deal with this kind of stuff. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. Too much masculine energy is really drawing. They can't even understand like the women are just being drawn in throughout the city just by instinct almost
2: yeah it's like their feminine brain is just gets surpassed when my masculine presence uh just it just overpowers it and then their brains just they're just naturally uh come into this surrendered state which is obviously for their greatest benefit so yeah
0: i have a i have a feeling that um. all the women listening right now are ovulating <sighs> yeah vulvas galore so um so you've mentioned uh you mentioned some of the psychedelics that you've enjoyed and participated in, it seems like a, a, a significant part of your life, do you find that it interferes with your daily work? Because it seems like a a, a lot to really, to really be into, but I mean, how do you keep it all balanced?
2: That's a good question. Um, see, it used to mess with my work until I made my work all about psychedelic use. So you see, before I became this self-appointed public psychedelic advocate who has zero actual medical training, My employees were like, Peter, it's 10 a.m. on a Wednesday morning. Are you sure you should be doing ketamine in the office? So I told them what any chemical mystic does, that this office, is just an illusion, man. It's all separation. And since we call it medicine, now instead of drugs, I'll just do a few bumps and then I'll just do a meditation. And then it's actually not a rampant drug addiction anymore. Mm. I mean, yeah, I hold in the meeting but just being around my presence was able to send all my employees into deep state of samadhi and yeah i mean as a progressive new earth paradigm shifting business instead of giving my employees matrix things like a 401k or health insurance or daycare support we just give them mushroom chocolates and a guided meditation of me in which i make sounds of the waves so that the ocean can feel more relaxed by listening to the sound of my voice
0: what a, what an incredible set of benefits that you extend to your to your employees, they must, they must be so enlightened to, uh, to receive all that. They really
2: are. And it's, I mean, it's a very special relationship that I have, uh, with them. Uh, you know, I I mean, I don't really know their names, but it's really, it's really, it's really, really special. I mean, just last week, I was telling Jeremy, I was like, Jeremy, why are you, stop crying about your children. I know you invested your life in our tech startup, but I'm afraid after giving myself another triple bonus, we just can't afford to keep your whole department anymore. And I, and I told him, it's like, no, it's not that you're being fired. It's just that your Dharmic bonds with this organization have reached fulfillment. And no, it's not, no, there's no severance package, just some microdose penis envies. And yeah, we are moving your whole department of Malaysia, but it's totally not a pro- for-profit move. It's just to balance the karmic energies and it's for diversity and inclusion because, I mean, those other brown people have the right to be our servants too, right? So, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, if all things are one, you know, we, we should all function and all things are one economy and we should all just merge. We're just merging companies, you know? We're merging and we're just breaking free of old bonds and old employees. Like, it's 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 just, it's all one, man.
2: It, it is all one, and I think that's, that's, it's really important to recognize that because all these people can now be joined with this love of being servants and serving my empire of, uh, of neocolonialism and spiritual capitalism. And that's really what unites humanity, is, is like the love for serving a leader that is greater than themselves who only acts in his own interest. You know?
0: I think that's actually, that's actually one of the Buddha sutras that you just quoted there.
2: It, it is. I mean, he quoted me. But. Oh
0: yeah! Thank you for correcting me. So, uh, so we can hear the sounds of of crowds gathering outside, and and the police presence to hold them back. And so, uh, so it sounds mm-hmm. like you're you're pretty popular um, with the females. What is your current relationship status, and what's your partner's current relationship status?
2: Yeah, the, we had to have the whole uh, house barricaded uh, around me just so the the females wouldn't wouldn't break through because this really peak masculine energy. Uh, but you know, as, as a bodhisattva, I've taken the vow that I have, I've solemnly declared that I will not enter heaven until every last single young, fit, bisexual goddess and embodiment coach who can remember all her past lives in Egypt, but can't remember her server's name has been initiated by me personally with my sacred masculine lingam light codes. So yeah. I guess you can say I've always been a huge supporter of women's liberation movement. No, I I mean, I don't mean paying them equally. No. (laughs) Oh, That's a a good one. That's a good one. I mean, by having them enter my sacred harem, that's the highest rank that a woman can reach. Uh, I guess I've always been super lucky that my partners have always been bisexual. I mean, they, they weren't always bisexual at the start of our relationship. Like my first wife, when we first got married, She wasn't really into women at all and she would get super pissed when I tried to have sex with all of her friends. But thanks to her deep inner journey, she discovered that she's really into holidays and jewelry and childcare and house help and not taking the bus. So yeah, she tapped into her inner core and guess what? She learned she actually is bisexual. And you won't believe it. But according to her human design and her Akashic record, she also happens to be bisexual, only for much younger, hotter girls who have no wrinkles. I mean, talk about kismet, will ya? I mean, if this isn't subliminal patriarchal oppression, I mean, synchronicity with the Aquarian age—I don't know what is.
0: Wow, It's what, what are the what are the odds? What are the odds that what are the, what odds? Are the odds that your that your that your partner would be into the girls that you're into? Like, how could that? How could how fortunate? I don't know. It's like it's. It's
2: because I'm walking the sacred path, because I'm walking the sacred path of service. It's just like, you know, they aren't into it at first. And then I'm like, okay, well, do you want to take the bus instead? And then they're like immediately in in the, they they start to love women. It's just like, the thing is like, this thing exists in all women. All women are inherently bisexual. They just have to have this, uh, the awakening happen to them. And the awakening can only happen through a man that's willing to sleep with all of her best friends. I'm just very, very fortunate to have chosen this path of service to the feminine. I mean, I'm not really, and by feminine, I uh, by the divine feminine, I, I naturally mean only the fit young ones who are under 40 years old.
0: Yeah, they're, they're truly the divine feminine. Everyone else is just like women.
2: Yeah. I mean, the other ones are just kind of bringing the vibration down. And so that's why I tell them, it's just like, you know, if you were... I mean, they're all into this thing of like, I got to have a husband and serve him. And I'm like, you know, I don't know where you're getting all these crazy new age ideas from. Because as far as I can remember, it was never really about the union of one man and woman raising a family. It was always just about uh, pledging allegiance to the overlord and, you know, just racking as much wealth that you could and not giving and sharing anything else with the, anyone else.
0: Yeah. Everyone knows that's, that's how it's, it's all always been. Like it's, it's never been about you know love. It's always just been about you know servitude.
2: Yeah, I mean, love is like, it's, it's a tricky thing. And it's like, it's like, you know, it's like salvation. It's like, why would I spend so much time and energy trying to cultivate something when I could just, you know, be on my phone and just just to have like any of my Instagram girls call me. It's like, why would I put so much practice into it? Just like, why would I put so much practice into having stillness and compassion and, you know, struggle with meditation when I could just pop some peyote and some mushroom? Because this whole spiritual journey is really about bypassing any of the work. It's like really getting to the end destination as fast as possible. Because all this other stuff in the middle is just like, that's just taking up dead space that could be used for altars of me.
0: Yeah, why would we walk the bodhisattva path and we can just like take a DMT rocket? Like, pfft, all those silly monks, yeah. I have no idea.
2: <laughs> that's what I'm telling them is like maybe that's why they're all bald because they've just been lost all their intelligence with that. But I, I'm obviously not bald because of that. I'm, I'm bald because my testosterone is too
0: high. Way, way too high. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of uh, you know the, the Bodhisattva path, like what are your views on on the psychedelic Renaissance that's kind of happening right now? Uh, you know, the, and then of course the white woke leaders like you know Terence McKenna and Timothy Leary and Gabor Mate. Like, what do you what do you think about? Since you are the prophesied one, you know, what do you think about all these guys kind of biting on your flow?
2: Yeah. You know, I mean, I see the thing is like, I actually don't, this is, this is where, when you've done the amount of work that I've done, I don't really see it as biting my flow because, you know, as long as they're white and they're, they're older, we're all kind of on the same, uh, on the same spiritual journey. So it's more like allies, but, and I'm just, I'm honestly, I'm just really honored to be part of this spiritual capitalism and psychedelic renaissance, because I mean, what, what, better way to honor spirit and indigenous culture than by removing all the spiritual aspects of it and prostituting the sacred and pumping it out as chocolates for trust fund babies and we're going to boutique festivals and pills for treatments in luxury clinics i mean can you think of any other way to honor the indigenous spirit
0: i i can't think of a better way to honor, honor the indigenous spirit than a giant music festival yeah for sure Yeah. And I mean, the only other thing that I could think that's more
2: honoring of the, of the spirit of the, of the plants is to actually, and the indigenous people is by making millions and giving nothing back to them. I mean, that's the reason it's called the Renaissance, right? It's like when something that's been around for centuries as a part of a culture is instead credited to a single older white man instead, Renaissance.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty close to what happened. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and I mean I just I just really commend these guys who are like these these pioneers of society. Like these are the guys that are that are like honestly I think we should all just be in reverence to them because you know they're trying to instead you know you could go out and start to fix all these broken social systems that perpetuate inequality and suppression or you could just melt your face off with some dnt do a few ig lives and then launch your retreat center where people who are dying actually from isolation can now find an experienced community. Yeah, by paying for $10,000 for doing a medicine ceremony that's built and operated by locals who could actually never afford to experience anything in there. And yeah, I know some people might call this slavery by paying them $20 a month, but as guardians of the land and all the money that we can extract from this land, we are really here to uplift the locals like uplift them right out of their home so that I can build a retreat center there and call it something Sanskrit. And it's totally not neocolonialism because if you look, if you actually looked at the manifestation journal of these slaves, I mean, servants, all the way from the very top of the, you know, all the way in Mexico and Guatemala and Costa Rica, every single local person's manifestation journal at the very top, like at the very top of the pyramid of their manifestation They have being born as a worker for a person building a retreat center to help anchor in the frequency of the new earth reality, reality where only rich white people have access to healing and creating more spiritual products. So yeah, it's right up top of the manifestation journal along right next to clean water. No, please don't thank me. I'm just a humble servant dedicated in the service of humanity by attaining Christ's For Columbus consciousness Mm. and breaking free of this fractal world of illusions and Maya and finally becoming tuned into the other ultimate reality of stealing another culture and adding a sacred geometry logo on it and then running it through a sales funnel program, a network marketing deployment system, and then we just sacredly scale it to seven figures. Then we take this money and rightfully take back what is ours from the indigenous locals, set up a retreat center, where other white people can come and learn how to heal by stealing their culture and offering indigenous plant medicine ceremonies that none of them are culturally, professionally, ethically, legally, or logically permitted to hold. And this is why we call it giving back. And for every, for every gold and crystal pyramid tower and emerald altar of me that we erect, we build them a well.
0: Yeah I was not about to thank you for any of that but I want to thank you for that last vision that you that you just shared with me that was very profound i can imagine all these glowing statues of you around the country really as, a, as around the world is a testament to the benevolence that you're showing to all these indigenous cultures
2: yeah, it's, it's really, it's really for them so that the, and, and for the land, so the land can actually, uh, access some healing through the rays that are emanating from the altars of myself. We also built one in, we built them around all like, uh, around the ruins in, 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 in Tulum so that the pyramids could, could receive my, my frequencies. And we built them at sacred sites all over the world.
0: Wow. That's a lot of, that's a lot of enlightenment. you're sharing with a, with a lot of, uh, less fortunate people that don't have access to the wisdom. It's
2: just, yeah, it's just that when when you're the source, it just comes through. It doesn't stop. It's like, it just comes through. I just keep hearing all these voices in my head and they just come through. And I just think that uh, it's the least that I can do.
0: Yeah, it's it's always very, uh, listening to the voices in our head is always the surest sign that we're on the the Bodhisattva path and and really on the way to integrating the oneness into the duality. Mm Mm-hmm. So do you ever worry, though, with all these things that you're doing, this grand vision that you want to bring about on the planet? Do you ever worry that there's, or wonder that there's more to life than manifesting? (laughs) Good one, Will.
2: Of course, there's more to life than manifesting. More bougie beige things and exotic holidays and more model girlfriends. I mean, there's also manifesting more dream clients, more peak experiences, more sold-out courses, more goddesses to have sacred cosmic Essential, casual, divine union one night stands with. It's like the American dream for woke white people. But for me, I'm all about the service and building a world-renowned personal brand from which to funnel a never-ending stream of products and spiritual services affordable only by the elite. I mean, just this last week, I had this powerful realization during my Wachuma waffles about being connected to all of humanity. Then I just woke up and I fired The entire midwestern, mid
0: eastern part of our business. Mm, That's very, that's very namaste of you. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
2: namaste away from me.
0: Namaste far away. You know, this has been this has been an incredibly um, enlightening experience for me. I I really feel um, so many different complicated emotions, but um, it's it's definitely it's definitely happened. It's definitely happened. And, uh, so I want to thank you for taking the time to, to talk with me. And, and so, um, but I just, one last question, like, what can all your friends and all the bisexual goddesses expect to he- to see from you next?
2: Yeah, that's, oh man, there's so much going on in this path of, uh, you know, ascension. It's like, so we're about to launch, uh, my new mushroom blend because, you know, why sit and have to struggle with a still mind and, You know, depression caused by alienation and isolation and, you know, trying to dissolve all your karmic patterns for a lifetime when you could just pop a pill and drink a vine and meet God and then become God in less than 12 minutes, right? And then, you know, like it says in verse 416 of Aubrey, God is in the land. So we're taking over more land in Lake Atitlan and Nosara to build more retreat centers where people can experience oneness while they ignore the staff, Mm -hmm. Uh, then we're doing a mastermind on Necker with the brand. And of course, doing a new season of my super powerful 20K personal transformation program, Rich for Service. And then my queen of the week, Milana, and I are hosting our own transformational. I'm super excited about this one. We're hosting our own transformational festival called Acacia. It's like a convergence of all the leaders of lightworkers who can afford $5,000 for a ticket. Uh, it's kind of like Summit meets Bernie Madoff in the Hamptons on peyote. And finally, like in my last DeFi Changa journey, I had the sacred vision of acquisition strategies, kind of like how Moses had. So what we're doing is we're building an ark, like, like a Noah's ark, and we have a goddess from every nationality come onto it. And then the brand and I set sail for Atlantis to become the rightful rulers and commanders of Middle-earth. So yeah, lots going on this year.
0: Wow, I, I, that actually reminds me, of, you mentioned a festival uh I just have another question, if that's okay. I'm just curious about some of the festival practices. So, you know, will you be having, once again, will you be having men bow down at the feet of of women? Like, will that be part uh, part of what you're doing again this year? i mean it, yeah it's
2: like it's 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 to create these staged moments instead of actually uh feeling what's what's there and i think it's just the more we can create these performative moments the more society has a chance of healing rather than actually addressing the challenges that occur so yeah it's like when we can create these staged and like everyone can dress as a goddess and we can just it's really about like when we were back at children and we used to wear these costumes but now we're in our 40s and we still wear these costumes it's really about yeah, not growing up ever and staging all these incredible peak moments and people holding their wombs and crying. And yeah, it's, uh, yeah, there'll be lots of, there'll be lots of uh, really, really, really uh, powerful moments that are going to be completely, sta- uh, I mean, completely surrendered
0: into. Mm, yeah, it's, it's, it's very powerful to know the, the ways that you, we can use Instagram, you know, to, to create social engineering programs and really tell people what to think. Uh, it's, it's a very powerful tool for that. I mean yeah
2: cuz it's like if they were already enlightened they would know what to think but since they don't they're looking for a a real leader it's like we and uh, you i imagine are the same It's like you know people look up to you to to really become like when they don't aren't able to think for themselves and it's like people like us that are actually here to tell them what to do and and really use uh half truths and bits and pieces of scientific evidence to
0: really support our own view Mm, yeah, it's a, yeah, especially the bits and pieces of scientific evidence that almost begin to sound credible when you put them together and you talk fast enough. That is the best way to tell yeah. people how to think. Because, yeah, because like, as long as you can put a graph in there, who really
2: cares? Because the people are already committed to their point of view. So they're obviously not even going to read the graph. So it doesn't really matter. I think it's really about, yeah, it's just just showing up in this, in these positions of leadership, being the voice uh, that's louder than all the other voices, having your pectorals be more defined. Because these people, they really need this leadership, whether or not they know it. And uh, yeah, this is kind of why we're here. This is why we're here making the millions. I mean, I hope you're making the millions.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Com- very, very, very much so. So yeah, I mean, it's, 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 I mean, I could tell by your aura, your, your, your face is kind of
2: glowing, mm. uh, which would obviously have me, and your house looks beautiful, which would obviously have me know that you are on the correct spiritual path because, you know, you look amazing. You don't have any wrinkles. You've got beautiful lighting. So obviously you're close to God.
0: Yeah. I find that production values are really the clearest way to tell whether someone's enlightened or not.
2: Yeah. Cause like, you know, it's like, if you just hire the best teams and have the best lighting, I mean, who cares if you've actually, and you say that you've done the work, like yeah, yeah. no one, no one. Yeah. It's like, have you, we've been doing the work. We've been doing the work. It's just like the works consisted of like, you know, finding all the right production, finding the right camera angles, finding the right intonations. It's just like, this is the deep work that most people aren't willing to do. It's like the shadow work.
0: Yeah, most people aren't really willing to put in the work to find like where the light is casting the shadow on your face, so that really accentuates, you know, your overall beautiful appearance. Because you know, clearly, the more handsome someone is, the more they should be listened to about basically everything.
2: Yeah, because it's like the more handsome you are, the more bigger your muscles are, and like the more you talk in a slower voice um, and with have malas, it's just really. Adds to this air of authority that I have, or sorry, that other people have. My authority comes from my actual presence, but yeah, it's just it's it's really just about using um, my privilege, uh, I mean, uh, my position uh, and my past as a way to use authority and, and to be the authority.
0: Yeah, and the financial success that you've had is, is the proof that you're right. I mean, that's I mean, obviously. I mean, yeah, it's like, you know,
2: how else do you know a coach is successful or or like is on the right path? Because you see them, you know, you see that they're getting over 200 likes per post and they're always in a tropical location and they're around beautiful people. And like, obviously, none of this is staged. It's it's clear as that, you know, because because they are living a peak state life all the time in tropical places and, you know, it's got nothing to do with the fact that they're chasing these things and nothing to do with the fact that they're afraid of commitment or, you know, can't hold relationships or any of that. It's really because the the more followers you have, I find the more you sound authoritative, the bigger your pectorals are, the more crystals you wear, the more clearly you are aligned with, with, with God and oneness. And the best way to show your alignment with oneness is to have more houses and more villas that I take photos from.
0: Yes, it's, it's definitely, when you look at the stuff that someone has, that's really how you evaluate the quality of their character and the brilliance of their ideas. Like, wow, that guy has a nice car. He must be completely right. Or he has all the crystals around him and he's talk, he talks so slowly he must be really intelligent.
2: That's it. It's like having a British accent, but a spiritual version of it.
0: That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Well, Peter, this, is, uh, this, is, this has definitely been an enlightening um, experience. It has, it has definitely uh, shifted my perspective on, on lots of different things. Mm. I've, I've, uh, I've learned a lot of things that I, I can't wait to forget. And uh, you know, so I'm just wondering, where would you like to send people to find out more about you and what you do?
2: Thank you, thank you for having me here. Well, uh, it's been it's been really enlightening for you, I can tell. Mm. Um, I would just ask, uh, you know, those the brothers to, they'll find it in their heart that if they want to join um, the sacred brotherhood uh, of men who are the becoming the the leaders of the new earth paradigm, uh, for white people. Uh, they can, they can find out about me on my upcoming program. We've got a few seats left to really take men through these initiation journeys that their fathers were never able to give them. Um, it's called rich for service. Uh, you have to make at least eight figures before we consider your application, but you can find me over there. I'll also be doing, um, other acts of service like, uh, you know, just a free masterclass here and there. But yeah, uh, I'm excited for other brothers to, to join me, but only the brothers that are making seven figures.
0: Yeah, because they're the ones that have proved their worth as human beings. I mean, there's that, but it's just that I'm just,
2: I, the space that I hold, it's like, it's just so powerful. Like, you can't have these, you know, you know, guys who have jobs and, you know, relationships and wives. It's not for that. It's just this elite space that I'm holding in. We just don't have space for that kind of space.
0: Exactly. If you know what I, mean. I know, exactly what you mean. Well, thank you, Peter, and I'm, I'm sure that many people will, many men will sign up for that because it obviously describes an enormous contingent of men who are seeking, you know, really bad information that's masquerading as spirituality.
2: Well, that, yeah, it's 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 that, but it's also the fact that you know these men they have. They, they kind of grew up in these environments where you know their father was struggling with some sort of issue, like either he was not present or either if he was present, he was not emotionally present and didn't give them the kind of natural rites of passages that we used to have. So because these men have these gaping voids of a big brother and an elder father figure, uh, these men are actually on the path of making themselves better. So they look towards, you know, where can I find this role model and Lo and behold, it's Peter Las Plantas.
0: Mm. Namaste Pachamama to that.
2: Namaste Pachamama.
0: Well, thank you, Peter. And uh, may, you have a, may you have a wonderful illusion of a day and a, and a, ble- and a continued blessed eternity.
2: Thank you, brother. You as well, I hope.
0: Thanks for listening after that interview. As you probably, hopefully guessed, it was satire. Peter Las Plantas is not a real person. None of that was serious. That was a comedy bit that my guests and I worked on to make a point. I'll introduce who my guest actually is in a moment, but before I do, I'd like to explain what the point of the satire was. As I can testify from my first hand experience in the New Age for 20 years, it positions itself as far above the materialistic concerns of the quote unquote regular world. It pretends like it doesn't care about money, status, beauty, or anything like that. Meanwhile, it is one of the most superficial, elitist, looks-conscious, and status-conscious communities in the world, and it plays on a very human impulse to equate beauty, wealth, and status with spiritual insight. The logic goes like this. If someone is attractive, rich, and high-status, they must be doing something right. Right actions flow from right beliefs, and so if their beliefs made them attractive, rich, and high-status, maybe their beliefs can get you those things too. This mistake is not limited to the New Age world, It happens every day in the masculinity discussion, with muscular, confident men driving flashy cars and surrounded by women who hold themselves up as exemplars of right living and moral correctness by virtue of their material possessions alone. No one ever thinks to question whether wealth and status has anything to do with morality. Because, pro tip, they don't. Some of the world's wealthiest people are also the most morally bankrupt people. Think about Bill Gates. And some of the world's most beautiful people Are also the most corrupt. Think about Hollywood. The purpose of the satire was to illustrate this point with a specific species of New Age influencer who leverages his privileged background and genetics into internet fame and then translates that into a business model that exploits those for whom faith comes by seeing. Which brings me to my guest this week. His real name is Ali Sardar, and he's a comedian, artist, and fashion designer who I discovered on Instagram Reels through his merciless mocking of the hypocrisy. Of the New Age influencer world, which hopefully you picked up on in the skit. Ali pulls no punches, as I hope you heard. He holds up a mirror to the ridiculousness espoused by men and women, influencers, and adventurers who go from characters to caricatures in their pursuit of what they think is truth. One of the unique aspects of the New Age world is that it's often joyless, which is to say that it becomes self serious about the work, the ceremony, the sacred space. And when even one man can't laugh at himself, He's about to go off the rails, or already has. Now what about a group of men and women? That's why I found all these comedy so refreshing. He's the court jester in a palace that desperately needs it, using his sharp mind and razor wit to point out that, hey everyone, these things are kind of messed up. As biting as it can be at times, for this reason, I regard satire as actually very humane. I would rather have a man or woman be alerted to their mistakes through a stinging joke then receive rebuke by reality itself. Yes, the satirist must be careful not to insert too much of his personal feeling into the work. That keeps it clean, so we can all laugh along. Ricky Gervais is excellent at this, for example. Which is why for those brave men and women who can pull it off, like Ali, they do everyone, audience and targets, a great service. So I hope you'll join me in thanking Ali for the effort he put into the material he developed for the skit, and for his courage improvising with me during some of my more ridiculous questions. And in this serious part of the conversation, Ali and I discussed his upbringing and immigration from Pakistan at age 19, his journey of self-discovery through art, the limits of materialism, the importance of having a conscience, the nature of good and evil, and finally exploring aloneness and relational healing through comedy. If you enjoy the Renaissance of Men podcast, thank you. Please help this show grow by sharing it with a friend us, leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts and a five-star rating on Spotify. The Renaissance of Men podcast is proudly sponsored by Reformation Coffee, purveyors of fine coffee beans hand-roasted by Pastor Brandon Lansdowne in Springfield, Missouri. As I'm recording this intro, Brandon and his family are on the way to Grace Agenda in Moscow, Idaho with 100 pounds of coffee beans and are about to caffeinate one of the most important Christian conferences of the year. I could not be happier for Brandon, Cassie, Matt, and the team especially because there are lots of coffee makers who market themselves to the Reformed faith. But I've tried their beans, and if you ask me, they're not putting the care, attention to detail, and devotion into their business like Brandon is. And that dedication is paying off. Reformation won't be shipping coffee while they're on the road during the next week or so, but don't let that stop you from ordering. Go to reformationcoffee.com and enter the code SUBFREE to get one free 12-ounce bag of coffee with your monthly subscription. Again, go to ReformationCoffee.com and enter the code SUBFREE to get one free 12-ounce bag of coffee with your monthly subscription. Please say a prayer for them as they prepare for this enormous accomplishment. Now, before we start the podcast, I'd like to say a few words to the audiences who'll be listening. As you'll hear, Ali and I have a couple meaningful and friendly worldview differences. So for my Christian audience, What I'd like you to listen for is the courage it takes for a man to ask questions about his beliefs and identity and not to stop. I relate to this very much because that is my story. Ali and I may not agree on everything, but I still regard him as my brother in many essential ways. Let the listener understand. And for the members of the audience who share beliefs that align closely with Ali's, I hope I can reflect to you my understanding of the world which you inhabit. I laugh at Ali's material because I've been there. I've been my own version of many of his characters. I've drank the medicine, done the breathwork, facilitated the sacred space, etc. You'll hear me mention that I was introduced to Christ at a burning man camp in 2015 by a group of Christians who modeled for me and thousands of others over 15 years the true heart of the faith. It changed me. If you'd like to know more about who those men and women are, you can find a link to my two-year anniversary podcast with them in the show notes. I invite you to watch the YouTube video, look into their eyes, and judge through their words if there's more to the Christian faith than perhaps the Christian faith is often good at showing. And I pray that my words help model that for you as well. And please welcome this week's guest on the podcast, the man behind Peter Las Plantas, Tantric Dave, and countless other characters poking smart fun at spiritual self-seriousness, Ali Sardar, Ali, welcome to the podcast, man!
2: Yay! I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: That was a that was a lot of fun. That little uh, that little that little dialogue we had. Thank you for for joining me in that.
2: Yeah, thank you for for playing along with me. Uh, I know there was times where it was a hard, uh, both from both sides. It was hard. I think I cracked up a couple of times as well. So it's just it's just really fun when people want to partake in, in silliness and also just a reflection of ourselves.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, I I don't know how I first stumbled across your Instagram page. You know, who knows where reels come from or whatever. And I was just I was laughing so much with with you just. Ridiculing this whole new age guru influencer kind of uh-huh. world. And I was like, I, you know, as, as my listeners know, I spent a long time in that world. And so to see uh-huh. it, it's like, okay, this guy sees it and knows exactly how to poke holes in it. So I've appreciated what you do for a while. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. You know, I've been very lucky with the, you know, I tried to, so.
2: People, a lot of people don't know this about me. Is that I was actually a life coach uh, when I started uh, this as well. Oh, okay. So I, yeah, so that's you know I've I've kind of taken that route, and uh, you know I as much as I uh, you know I may, might make fun of uh, of things, and we'll get into this a little bit deeper. Uh, but oh, as yeah. much as I make fun of uh, uh, of life coaches and whatnot, it's really it's really such a fucking difficult thing to do. Uh, apologies. It's just such a okay. difficult. It's it's so. It's really really difficult and for people I really commend people that are able to do it and you know my judgments of what they're doing and all those other things aside just just the act of being able to do it it's it's so difficult that I quit that I was like I can't do this this is really this is really uh, this is really difficult so yeah I just want to acknowledge that and I think this is also what kind of happens uh, is that you know people think that just because I'm making fun of something that there's something wrong or there's something bad but that's not always the case. And uh, we'll talk a little right. bit, bit uh, more about this as we get into it.
0: Yeah, I, I appreciate you saying that. I, you know, I, I, I look at the things you do and, and I see reflected in it a lot of the guys who have um, not great intentions. You know, like, for example, I, the way, what I always say is like, this is not a market for me, it's a ministry. And mm. I can tell when guys use it as a market. Like you can, you can tell, you learn to see, maybe you buy something even and you discover you know, the care and attention to detail, like, are you really in it to, to help people? Mm -hmm. Are you in it for the, are you in it for the money? And you get a sense of that over time. So I've never thought that I've actually thought that, that in everything that you've done, you draw a really clear line between the people who are properly motivated and the ones who aren't. That's how I've always felt.
2: Well, that's great. I hope that it comes across to people like that, but you know, what I've also realized in this is that it's, uh, uh, you know, there's there's a couple of layers and veils to this that I that I that people don't know about what I'm doing yet, and it's not for me to disclose it just yet. But mm. you know, one of the things uh, since you've you've touched upon it is that what I've also realized is that in this time and age that it's so. De- I mean, this has kind of always been the case is that looks are so deceiving. Like you never know mm-hmm. what a person is and how uh, you know. And now in this age when, when um, you know, people can look a certain way and have all the right verbiage and, you know, the, the lingo and the dress and the lifestyle, uh, it's so difficult to tell. And some of my most, in, uh, you know, uh, informative moments have been with people that I'm like, oh, man, this person clearly looks the part. And then I've got my chance to speak to them. I'm like, holy shit, this person is actually... Uh, you know, uh, there are actually on the path of enlightenment and they are actually really incredible people, but it's just so hard to tell. And that's one of the things that, you know, I like to remind myself uh, and also to, to people is just like, you know, just because certain things look a certain way, uh, whether that's whatever side that falls on, I try not to use good or bad, but whatever side that falls on is that like we, we don't really know. And I'm what I'm excited about is uh, I think is, is is this is one of the layers behind the satire, is that eventually as a society we'll start to come into these places of, 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 knowing that is beyond the words. It's like we'll start to have this recognition uh, because. Ultimately, all the words are going to fall away. Everyone is going to start to know the appearance and everything, which is kind of already happening. Like People are becoming mm. smart to it, and they're going to start to have this yeah. other layer of discernment of what's actually authentic. So that's an exciting place.
0: Yeah, I think that there are going to be enough uh, enough influencers who blow up on the launchpad, so to speak, that people will begin to be a bit more discerning with what they hear and what they listen to and what they yeah. choose to what they choose to believe. It's a really necessary part because I, I don't know, um, my buddy Andre, uh, from, uh, Andre from solioli from Andre and Soli posted the other day that, you know, we're not really as a species used to being exposed to that many opinions on a yeah. daily basis. Like we've ne- we're have not really made for it. And I thought that was a really good observation.
2: Uh-huh. It is a really good observation. I think it's going to be really exciting what comes in. It's also, you know, while we're on this, on this topic, it's also, you know, it's it's also really difficult. People don't realize that there are parts of me that that struggle with this because there's, you know, imagine if a person just looks a certain way, but they are actually on the quote unquote side of good and they really mean it. It's just like it's so difficult for them. So it's also really challenging for me, is because I try not to, you know, put someone down um, and finding that line between, you know, speaking to something. And 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 putting people down—it's just so difficult. And I, I I try to have compassion for people on the other side of it because everyone's getting painted with a single stroke, you know. As it happens with most uh, with, with most things, when you know there's the traumatic response, and now every life coach is this, and every business coach is this. And I think as mm. part of the that discernment that I was speaking about earlier, where we're going to start to tune into awareness that is beyond. Uh, you know, beyond this, the sight and and, and the sound of of how people convey themselves is also going to be this, this understanding and and this deeper sense of compassion. Um, So it's a really exciting time for all of us.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. The development of that discernment. Go ahead. And and we have to go through this kind
2: of period where there's this you know really strong as has been the case with most movements and you know one of which I'm really excited to talk to you about because I've seen a lot on your uh, on your Instagram about is that we have to go through these stages of like you know revolting against every coach is bad and everything is this and everything is that to coming to that fine line and uh, yeah it's going to be an interesting journey and I just wish that we can. Uh, I think whatever's going to, ha- however it's going to go, it's going to really inc- uh, result in our evolution. But I just think, I hope that uh, everyone could just be gentle with each other and just realize that there's so much pain in these places, you know, so much. And it's really interesting when I start to do this satire, you know, it's also really interesting because people, when they speak generally as humans, when we speak, we're speaking from our point of view. And when I'm doing the satire is that people, and it's really, really fascinating to see that is that. Uh, you know, Ricky Gervais is such an incredible comedian. Have you heard of him? Of he's course, the guy. Yeah. yeah. So, one of the things that he says is like, and I find it the best way to be really incredible is that, you know, he, he says that I'll do anything for the joke. He's like, if the joke, he's like, what's the most funniest thing that I could say? And for that, I'll be an extremist. I'll be left wing. I'll be pro feminist. I'll be, you know, a- anti feminist. So, that's the kind of lens that I'm coming at it from. I'm just like, what's the most ridiculous thing that I can say and most extreme thing that I can say? And it's been really, really interesting. When I say these things, people believe that it's my opinion. For the most part, some of them, they can tell that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just, you know, exaggerating things. But it's so funny that when I'm not, when we uh, I'll speak for myself, when I'm not tied to my view and I'm in no way trying to defend it, I'm not, you know, like most people, they will say something and that's their view and they're going to defend it. When I'm not, I can actually sit back and observe the reactions that people have. And I get to know so much about people by the way that they respond. And I'm like, wow, that's really mm-hmm. interesting to hear that you've had these painful experiences with, you know, life coaches or with men or with sex or with religion and all these things. So it's really, really fascinating to to see what people are going through. And um, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's, that's something I've observed as well. Like there's there's almost... Like we, we as a society need satire more than ever, probably because everyone's everyone's so hung up on their own experience that they can't really see past it, and satire yeah. kind of holds up the mirror, and people can react all kinds of ways to to jokes that are not about them, yeah. right? But they take it personally. Yeah, you know
2: that's kind of what, how satire had always been around, and a lot of people look at it. They're like, "Oh, do you want to do stand-up or do you want to do comedy?" And I'm like. No, not exactly because it, one, it's it's quite scary, but also it's just like, I wanted to have a deeper, deeper meaning, uh, for mm. myself. And it's, it's really, this It's like, we get a chance to observe ourselves and observe society. It's a commentary on society. And this is the other layer that I was speaking to is that, you know, people see the front uh, side of it, which is like, oh, you're making fun of a, of a, of a life coach or, you know, a goddess or uh, a tech bro. But what people will start to eventually, once they've gone through the you know the the layers of their own pain, which might take however long it takes, I think people are going to start to ask different questions. And that's what I'm excited for. Like questions like why you know we're talking about coaches selling all these uh, you know always trying to sell and always trying to market and having these masterclasses and building funnels. I think an interesting question is why are these people behaving the way that they are? They're not inherently bad. No one's inherently bad. What's co- yeah. what are the forces that are operating on their psyche? What are the kind of world that we're living in that causes people to behave this way? And I think that's when we're going to start to get into some interesting places. Because right now we're still in the place of like, haha, you know, they're this, they're that. I'm this, I'm that. But it's 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 really. We'll keep, it's not for me to 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 guide the course of this. People will do it in their own way. And uh, it's just really fascinating to see what's going to happen when we start to ask these deeper questions like, why are women being this way or men being this way or business being this way? What's causing people to have that? And then we're going to start to have some really, really incredible uh, breakthroughs, I feel.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I I, um, I want to acknowledge that you and I have some worldview differences. I think that's important. I think yeah. that's important to share. And and I actually, I have some, and we don't, we can get into that, you know, um, maybe a bit later, but you know, there are, I, I have some, I found some answers to these questions that maybe we can get into, but you know, in yeah, a minute, yeah. but first I want to hear one of the things that that I remember from my time in, in that, uh, I just might say the new age world, if we can call it that just for shorthand, is mm-hmm. a real resistance to critical observations about bad behavior right like it's it's like new age and satire don't really go well together Mm -hmm. right it's it it, it tends to take itself very very seriously Mm -hmm. and so and so like i'm curious how you um how you develop the the instinct and the courage to begin satirizing in general Mm -hmm. because there's a obviously there's a ton of material Mm -hmm. but it's almost it's almost like Am I going to really do this? Like, what was the what was the process like of developing your characters? I mean, like, oh wow, I guess I'm yeah. going to actually do this.
2: Yeah, you know, thank you for, for for that question. It's been it's been really interesting. So people, so I've been writing jokes and and you know being funny since ever as long as I can remember. You know, one of one of the most fondest memories I have in my childhood uh, is that my my I have two elder brothers. I grew up in Pakistan. Uh, my, Mm. I have an elder brother and a younger brother and the three of us would be in the room. And basically I, I, I would say this is at least months, if not years, realistically, that we would just crack jokes all night Mm. long. And it was just like this innocence. So my, so I've always kind of been lucky to, to have that sort of, uh, Cutting, it's always been, there's been a cutting element to it. And, you know, that led to me being a bully uh, for a while as well and being bullied. Mm. But I've always had that way of just observing things and just saying it. And both my brothers are funny, but uh, I, I quickly learned that, you know, it was, and people always think they're like, oh, you know, oh, you're funny. That's just like this coping mechanism that you have. And I'm like, maybe, or maybe you're just so fucking boring that I have to bring some levity to it. And I think that's what was happening with with the comedy and like the spiritual places where I would go into these. I used to live in in Tulum for a few years, and and it's not just like a Tulum thing. But I was just and you know, I was like, holy hell, these people are really like going in on it and in on it. And I was like, yeah. wow, where's the where's the where's the celebration and the laughing at oneself and like the the, right. the fun? It was just so serious, and people are like so serious about their shadow work and their path and their this and this. And I'm like, that's great, but it's also another just another layer of ego that we can get lose ourselves in because it just sounds or feels better. So when I first started doing the jokes, so I've been writing jokes since many, many, I would say at least like 15 years, I've been writing jokes and sharing them quite regularly. Uh, But the first time I started to do the satire thing was probably about six years ago and it was not received well. People were just like, oh, you're hmm. you're an idiot. Like, I don't know, lots of people. I mean, people still unfollow me and unfriend me and whatnot. Uh, wow. Yeah, but for, I mean, uh, we'll get to that part. It, by and large, what I hear is positive feedback, but I'm sure there's people who have challenges with it. But yeah, the first time I started it, it was really, really negative feedback from a lot of people. And people, lots of people were like, oh, you're an asshole, this and that. And I was like, it was really difficult uh, doing that because, you know, uh, again, I see the side of it. it's easy to throw a joke, but to, to handle it is sometimes not really the easiest thing. And it's, yeah. you know, it, it kind of also, and it it reminds me to have compassion for the other side of it because when this happens, we have these biological, you know, these primal fears of being cut out from from the tribe, and all these things get activated, and you're you're being picked on, or people have experiences of, of being bullied, and it's just it's such a difficult space to be in, you know. And I just I just wish that people know that. You know, if I do, it's such a difficult place to choose to be. And I'm willingly choosing this that I'm like, oh man, like I don't want to hurt people, but this is happening and I want to express it. And it's, it's so complex, you know, it's so complex. And I think what happened over the, I, then I stopped doing it. I was just like, no, I also didn't have, you know, the, the means to focus on it. And, you know, fast forward six years, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this because I was like, what do I really want to do in life? And, and what are the things that bring me the most joy? And where do some of my gifts lie? And this was one of them. There, there's a few others that I'm excited to, to, you know, for the world, for me to experience with the world when the time is right. But so I brought it up again. This was like maybe two years ago. And that's when it was a completely different response. People were like, mm. I think what had happened was when I started it, people weren't uh, experiencing the the other side of it. But when I started doing it again this last time, like two years ago people had started to see the bullshit all around themselves and had started to experience it. So they were much more open to it. And I think it was just, it was it was kind of getting undeniable to to a point. So people were just really welcoming it. So it, it happened. I think the timing of it was really incredible, but it's still extremely challenging because, you know, I'm not doing this under an alias. It's under my name and people think it's my views and it's also it's really you know it's it's one thing to be a writer and that's what my thing was before it was like it was like i'm behind the screen i'm just writing it it's a lot easier but now you know leaning into performing and sharing it it's it's really difficult part of it to be like wow like i i'm saying something that i know is going to hurt people uh but still finding that place of like but this, this is authentic and it's going to do something and like not caring it's really really it's a crazy journey
0: mhm yeah i mean i i can definitely relate to some of the characters that you did, a, you did a series a couple, a couple of reels, maybe two or three weeks ago, mm-hmm. where you spilled some milk and you showed the different characters. Yeah. And, 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 then, and that was great because I could relate to having been some of those characters. But there's mm-hmm. a component where it's like, you're absolutely right. Like the joy drains out of it. The, the joy drains out of that world very quickly. It becomes very serious. It becomes very, mm-hmm. and it, it, it becomes almost <laughs> suffocating. And it's like, guys, like we're still, we're still human beings here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and we all have to be able to, to laugh at ourselves mm-hmm. and like people will gladly go to a comedy, like a comedy routine that you mentioned, your performer. They'll go to a comedy club and they'll laugh or they'll, they'll heckle and then they'll get made fun of by the comedian. And, you know, then they'll, then they'll laugh at themselves. But somehow when they see themselves reflected in a, in a, in a reel or a comedy bit online, it cuts a little yeah. too close. It's like, maybe there's actually something to look at there, right?
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think this is uh, this is also one of those trademarks of, of what I consider people to be. Uh, I actually can trust people who can laugh at themselves because I'm like, I know you're not perfect. Yeah. And so if you can laugh at yourself and you can laugh at the things that you're a part of, because the thing is like, hey, man, there's one, which is the thing that I was saying earlier, is just like, it's so interesting. A person, and I've been in this situation, you know, let's take a thing that I have probably said, to, I know I've said to women, and uh, they're, one of the characters that I have is Tantric Dave, who's like this, uh, you know, super new age, yeah. polyamorous, really kind of toxic guy. But the truth is, and it's really, really, really fascinating. There's a lot of things that he said that I have said. And and yeah. and, and I've looked at it, and this is such is such an incredible internal healing that happens with this whole, you know, a lot of it's the healing that's happening with people. First of all, even before the healing, it's entertainment. It's fun. And that alone is really important. We don't always have to have this higher, you know, I try not to have like this higher meaning and deeper thing to it. Sometimes things are just silly and they're funny. And I started to write these. uh, Basically, I wrote down some of the things that I said to a woman. There's this one sketch that I made of what uh, a new age date looks like, which was basically everything that I did on a date. And I was like, wow, this is really ridiculous. It's really, really funny. So it's really, I think it's just, it just shows that when people can look at these things about themselves or at least be open to it i feel that i can trust them more and i'm like okay like you see it it's fine and the thing is cuz you know like we were saying earlier is like the words all those are going to start to lose meaning you know very soon if they haven't already lost it and so what's going to be left and and when we can it's such an important place to be able to observe and reflect in ourselves uh, and and really come to the essence of uh why we're doing what we're doing so yeah
0: that's a great way of thinking about it like why are you you know individual why are you engaged in this world like like yeah. Tant- tantric Dave you know that's, yeah. the, that's the thing that's so entertaining about him he's just obviously so greasy and so and, and so um, uh, using euphemisms and very clearly like in this gross way trying just to do somebody and making it sound all enlightened and it's just like ugh I, forget, that- I recognize those words Yeah. And, you know, that's the, that's the thing. It's like, it's so wild because I've actually said these
2: words to women. And I've like, one of the things would be like, oh, you know, I would say just like, oh, I I can tell that you feel more surrendered by my masculine presence. And that just sounds (laughs) absolutely fucking ridiculous. However, and I, and you can see both sides of this, right? Like, I've seen people just say this. However, I've also, been around a man and be like, wow, I feel incredible. I, I don't know about you what it's like, but like when I come into space and there's men, you know, that are a certain size or have a certain physique, I immediately feel there's a biological part of me that's like, or when I hug a man, I'm like, yes, it's like these things happen. So so it's so interesting like how can something and this is is like it's our brains i think have an opportunity to evolve in this way is like can something be true but also wrong but also silly but also sacred and also divine but also messy because life is all of it and i think the more that we can start to hold these diverse and diverging viewpoints and beliefs together uh i think we're we are going to become more more at least i mean i wouldn't say necessarily i mean even if we don't become more evolved, we're definitely going to become more understanding of other people. So it's really, really fascinating what's, what's happening with all of this. And a lot of it is just me just saying the things that I've said. And, and, uh, and when I say it, people think it's a joke, but I've actually experienced the other side of it. I've actually experienced women uh, you know, a lot of people don't know this about me, but I'm also, I, I, I'm a somatic therapist and I work with, you know, I have a separate technique with men and a separate technique with women. And lo and behold, the technique with women is, there's a tantra component to it. And it's, mm. it's, you know, it's just so wild. And I, you know, even being in that space, it's been mostly incredible for women, but there have been instances where I've made mistakes. And so it's like, how do we mm. reconcile all these deep aspects of ourselves, of uh, uh, moving beyond this right and wrong? You know, it's really fascinating journey we're on.
0: Well, I can't go with you there on moving beyond uh, moving beyond right and wrong because that was actually one of the things that led me to where I'm at now. But uh-huh. I think I think the thing that, that's important um, that's important about uh, what you do is that you um, is that you point out the the hypocrisies mm-hmm. and you point out the the um, exploitation, mm-hmm. and I think that's that's the part that I, that I uh, connected with, like there's Mm -hmm. obviously a lot of silliness and there's obviously a lot of, a lot of, a lot of goofiness and obviously just a lot of like buzzwords Like Mm -hmm. you capture, you capture the buzzwords brilliantly. And you, you know, especially where things start to blend between the spiritual and the commercial. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I think as, as people will hear, as they get into the, as, as they listen through the, the the satire piece we did earlier mm-hmm. that it's it's really the the exploitation aspects of it that's really troubling mm-hmm. that there are people who come in and use the spiritual language to mm-hmm. to seduce people out of money or out of their clothes so to speak and that's the part where there is not enough discernment and scrutiny brought to it right and that's what I like about what you do is it is is that you highlight that like it's it is absolutely not all love and light Yeah. You
2: know what? Even with that, it's like, it's really interesting because a lot of these are disappointments that I've had with myself that I've woken up. I'm like, Mm. wait, am I doing this? Wait, did I just, am I exploiting these people? Am I actually doing what's... And it's Mm. like my own disappointments that I've had with my own behavior that I'm so frustrated with with myself or I judge myself or areas that I feel guilty. And I just like, I feel this is my way to deal with this emotion. I just like put it there and I'm like, this is so nasty, something that I've done that I will just put it in and people laugh at it. And it's just, it's, it's, it's really, really a crazy journey to, to go through all of this and to be able to uh, see it. And it's just so difficult, man. Like, you know, this has also been the other incredible part of it is like, uh, for myself, is like seeing myself make these, uh, you know, these these mistakes, and and knowing, and this has been one of the most incredible parts, and knowing that I'm a good person, like genuinely, I'm a good person. And if I can make these mistakes, what if other people are also making these mistakes? What if they're not evil? What if they're not corrupt? What if they're not out there to get the money? Like, what else is happening there? What else is possible? And I find that to 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 lead to some interesting areas.
0: Hmm I mean I think I think um if we can get philosophical for a second I think I think the notion of like well what does it even mean to be a good person or a bad mm-hmm. person like you're like you you've mentioned for yourself that you've made these mistakes you've said some of the things that Tantric Dave says you've crossed your conscience even and it's troubled you and mm-hmm. is there does that mean that there's a significant difference between you and the people who are just like leaning into it like what's what's the nature of the difference there right because you've yeah. done things that you're not proud of that trouble yeah. you and like so are they? So, I mean, are any of us really good people?
2: That's that's really fascinating. That I start to think is like, so is anyone really a bad person? Like, what does that even mean?
0: And and well, I think we can say that some people really are, though. I Harvey mean, Weinstein is it, not a good Jeffrey Epstein is not a good dude. I mean, there's things that people
2: do. It, it depends on what level and layer that you look at it, and, and where you're at within your own, uh, you know, uh, within the, within that experience of it. I. I think so, but like if you extract it far enough, and this it starts to get a little New Age there. But I think mm. it's easier to compare it with people that are in a similar, uh, you know, in a, in a similar playing field. I, I you know, I, I don't want to comment on on other people, and, and uh, but yeah, that's it's just that seeing that self reflection. There's been the two sides of it. It's like when I've made a mistake and people have been kind with me. That's been incredibly transformative. Mm -hmm. A lot of it has been with women. A lot of the mistakes that have happened with women and women have been really amazing and understanding with me. And even people in general. And then doing that for myself and being like, whoa, like, you know, if I'm not, you know, let's not, if I'm not this, you know, all these things that I project onto people that this person is, you know, they're manipulative, that they're just about the money, that they're just about this, that they're, you know, all these negative attributes that I may generate towards them. When I start to see myself behave in those ways, it's like oh shit like can i have forgiveness for myself and is it something that even needs to be forgiven like who's saying that this is good this is bad so it gets
0: it's a bit of a trip to be honest mm-hmm. yeah I've, I've been down all these roads so yeah. so let's set, let's let's separate a couple of things first so let's separate out someone who's on on the public stage because mm-hmm. i think once you put yourself out on a public stage as a public figure the rules change. Yeah, so if you put yourself up there as an in, as a high, an influencer, you, know, you step on you step into the arena. Mm-hmm. You know everything, every everything except for your personal life is fair game. But if you mm-hmm. make your personal life then part of your story or whatever, then yeah. your personal life becomes fair game to the point at which it's part of your angle or whatever. That's how then, yeah. then it's fair. So so like so for example, like some of the the character that we put together, Peter Las, Las Plantas, that you named. thank you thank you uh, I was riffing off of some of the ideas that you had so so like that's sort of a conglomeration of a lot of like public figures who I don't really feel the need to name but I think people Uh can think of some ideas Uh those public figures I think it's it's okay to ridicule them because they've put themselves out there right Uh there's something different between that versus like satirizing someone in everyday life who hasn't put themselves out there in that Uh way so just to draw like we're not going after everyday average people we're satirizing like High-level uh-huh. people that, as uh-huh. the Brits say, need to have the piss taken out of them. Right? That's how the yeah. Brits say it. Yeah. So there's there's a different set of rules there. I think for satire.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree.
0: Yeah. So versus versus sort of the other level of things we're talking about, like the decisions that everyday average people make in their lives. Like, are we are we really? What does it mean to be a good person? What does it mean to be a bad person? Uh-huh. Right. Like, what what is given that we all make mistakes, we all hurt. Ourselves, we all hurt each other, and this seems to be a lifelong condition, uh-huh. right? Can any like in, in a way that we can't really change? Can any of us really ever set to be said to be good people when we do wrong things? Sometimes, even with bad intentions, even despite ourselves. Yeah, like, I know I shouldn't do this, and I did it anyway. Again, yeah, ugh, like it, yeah, yeah. What's
2: the? What so I guess the, my. I'm curious. I'm curious to before you get into your question. I'm cu- I'm curious to also know uh, wh- how you look at it. This this you know this good person and and and
0: and not. Hmm. I mean, I, I think I think what people mean when they say I'm a good person means like I'm not a serial killer. I'm not someone who actively exploits someone for pleasure, right? Because there are people in the world we might call them psychopaths, right? In a literal sense, mm-hmm. they genuinely enjoy hurting people because they get pleasure from it and they don't do it out of a sense of weakness. They do it out of malice. Mm-hmm. I think that's someone that we would agree would call, be called a bad person, right? Okay. In a genuine sense. And, and okay. may none of us ever meet someone like that. But when, I mean, when other, we than, other that than
2: seeing them control all of our society, but yeah, I hope we never meet them.
0: <laughs> Amen. Amen, <laughs> brother. Exactly. Exactly. So you see, so you see it, right? So there is, at the very highest level, there are people who are doing malicious things for either profit or for pleasure right mm-hmm. maybe maybe like the joker archetype right in from the the dark knight rises like some men just want to watch the world burn like he doesn't mm-hmm. care about money he just mm-hmm. wants to make people suffer and enjoy it right they that's a the kind of person mm-hmm. so but what, when you and i would be talking about am i a good person or a bad person like i think what we mean by that is we're not a, we're not a um, we're not a wicked person we're not a malicious person mm-hmm. and yet we still do things wrong all the time. We're petty, we're judgmental, we're short, we're critical, you know, even even despite ourselves. Mm-hmm. If that's the case though, in the literal sense, are we still good people? We're not that doesn't mean we're wicked people, but can we still mm-hmm. say we're good people if we still hurt ourselves and others in moments of weakness? Mm-hmm
2: you know, that's a really, uh, that's a really fascinating question that I'm, 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 I'm observing and contemplating as well. It's like, what, what does that look like? And you know, how much are these are, uh, are just like these, uh, you know, primitive responses to things and how much of this is part of my conditioning and how much of this is part of my personality. Uh, You know, Mm. and it's so, it's so nuanced, man. Like when you get into these spaces, it's just like, wow, what, what really, where does all of this come from? And, it's and you know at, at some point what I'm trying to cultivate right now is to like kind of go beyond all of it because it can become such a head trip uh, and to just see all of these happening and it's again it's interesting to it, it's to find that that space in between where you're observing reflecting but also knowing at the same time that there's more to it than just this there's more to it than what you know this physical level of reality and your behaviors and your attitudes and your thoughts so trying to merge both those sides of it is really is really interesting because you know we can. This is what happens a lot in, in this. What I see in the personal development world is that we get so fixated on this individual, especially um, a lot in the Western side of it, because it is, it can become such an individualized, like it becomes my, her, my healing journey, my truth, my transformation, mm-hmm. my visions. And it can become such, a, uh, such an uh, individualized, egocentric uh, perspective. And I don't mean egocentric in, in a bad way, but it just the egocentric in the sense that mm-hmm. the separate I, you know, that we all have, that I'm always thinking about. Um, so it's really interesting to, to bring these areas of awareness uh, into it and, and to know that ultimately, you know, you could go down these, these rabbit holes and open up like can and can of misery and trauma and all of those things, and not to say that there's no value in it, but at some point you also have to cultivate a a, a higher, I won't necessarily call it a higher perspective, but a different perspective that, that has a more uh, holistic view of the whole thing and knowing that, you know, whatever, there's, you are bigger than, you know, the things that you believe and the things that you do in your past. There's more to it than that.
0: Yeah, well said. That was definitely it does ultimately, the, the healing path, quote unquote, be, can become very narcissistic where it's like, uh-huh. oh, I did something wrong again. Let me go do another healing thing. Let me go do it. Yeah. And then you just kind of end up disappearing into your own navel of endless trauma and memories that you kind of can dig out of yourself like, oh, it must be because of this thing from the past yeah. or this thing from the past. Yeah. But there's a, it's a never-ending well. It's a never-ending never When you anymore. bring in like, yeah, exactly. And I think, I think a lot of people get really lost in that, particularly with ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. That's like you know from the circles that I've navigated through there were people that showed up like every month for another medicine journey another three medicine journeys is like bro like what do you like you should be able to make pro- like you don't need to be here you're doing okay but they begin mm-hmm. relying on it cuz they think they get addicted to doing the work and mm-hmm. then they disappear into it
2: mm-hmm. you know I'm really fascinated to to learn a little bit about that I just want to also make a point It's like I I yeah. was living in Bali And I'm going to make a sketch. I I moved to Bali and I'm making a sketch about this one. It was like, it's so amazing. You see all these expats, including myself, coming in there and they're doing all these ceremonies and these rituals and these Mm. local people are just sitting there. And I'm like, wow, the most incredible, some of the most incredible transformations I've had is just being, being with people in general, just being with them, being, and like, it's so funny. You see these people, they're like, uh, us, going through all these rituals and all these ceremonies, it's like, wait, you don't have to do any of that. You could just be with here right now. And this mm-hmm. is and this is the part where it starts to get tricky because, you know, it's like a friend of mine just said this this weekend. He's like, everyone wants to do ayahuasca, but no one wants to do the dishes. It's like, you know, yeah. it's like we now have this, this opportunity. Like you were saying, there's so many views that are being thrown at us. There's also so many solutions that are being thrown at us that have never existed before, you know? So we have this in a culture that's all about productivity and getting the result getting the thing like you know so much of the spirituality uh i find is that people use meditation as a way to become still so that they can produce better results and i'm like wow that's really not yes. the point of all of this but it's so it's so intertwined and it's so intricate thank you for saying that yeah i was i was curious because you had mentioned that you so you had done ayahuasca 15 times
0: Hmm. in the and, u.s and peru i did i did a I did a, a retreat. I went to a retreat center in Peru where I did two ceremonies, then had a night off, then three ceremonies, and had a night off, and then did two, which is mm-hmm. the most you can do in a ceremonial way in, in the world, I think.
2: Mm-hmm. And so, at what point in your life was this? Was this like kind of when you were uh, when you were going? Because I I know that you mentioned that you used to have a very different life. Uh, you used to be the whole yeah. party scene. You were a techno DJ. Was this kind of transitioning yeah. out of it, or was this at a later point in your life? And and. And what's your view on it now uh, as a tool for... Because hmm. I personally haven't done it myself and I've got some views around it. Uh, so I'm curious to uh, to learn a little bit from, from someone who has done it uh, and what your views hmm. are.
0: I'm going to have to put a lot of pieces together to answer that question, but I'll, I'll answer the second question about my views on it. But I can tell you where I was in my life. So when I was living in San Francisco from 2000 until the Bay Area, until 2016, I was in the house and techno DJ scene. And so mm-hmm. I played clubs and you know, festivals in the desert and the jungle and stuff like that. And I was, I was giving that up. That was not, I was not ever, I I wasn't uh, a musician. Like I'm not naturally someone who's going to sit in front of a computer and and make, make techno beats all day. I was no good at it. I couldn't force myself to do it. So I had finally given it up. Meanwhile, I had been like, I wasn't a techno DJ for a living. It was just something that I would do on the weekends and stuff, Uh, but I had always wanted to travel. And so for, for 16 years, I had worked to sort of make that a possibility in um, wow. lots of different ways. And so, and so I, uh, I made that happen in, in 2016. And I left the United States. I left San Francisco, sold everything, left and I went to South America first in March of 2016. And I did that ayahuasca retreat that would have been in um, like May, June of 2016. So a couple months later, mm-hmm. I had done ayahuasca before in the United States in the Bay Area, like a weekend thing. So I had had some experience with okay. it. And I was originally not even going to do ayahuasca in Peru because I thought it was so trite. I'm like, oh, how boring. But I got down there, and I was like, "Well, I'm here. Like, I might as well. Like, I might as well. Might as well." So I signed on for that retreat center there. Um, so that's why I ended up doing it then. So my views on it have changed significantly since then. And where do you stand now? Hard, hard opposed to all psychedelic use with the with the very limited with very limited exceptions. And but,
2: but this is after, like, how what was your experience? Like, was it ex- extremely transformative in your life? What role did it play those ceremonies?
0: Yeah. So, um, so those, so at the time, what I would have told you was that the ceremonies were very powerful in helping me move past things related to my past and beliefs and beliefs that I held. They mm-hmm. were, they were very powerful and they, they were very effective. But what I didn't realize at the time. Is that they were giving me a very mistaken view of reality, and they were giving me a they were they were giving me a, a misunderstanding of how uh, of how things work. So I was trading essentially, um, I was trading the subjective experience of of inner transforma- of of, of uh, incremental inner transformation. I was trading that for being very wrong about the way the world works. That's the yeah. trade off that I didn't realize I was making.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: wow and so when did you start to
2: realize that some of these uh r- r- conclusions that you're coming to were faulty? to did it kind of blow up in your face or wh- what was that process like and what were those uh, s- certain uh beliefs that came up i'm really fascinated to you know about me or or the belief- yeah with yourself what, what like is, yeah like what were those uh, yeah. you know th- those things that came up where you're like wait this is not actually correct at all
0: yeah. So, um, so one of the things that the inner healing world is really good for is, is surfacing things. Like I'm sure you know, self-limiting beliefs—things mm-hmm. that we believe about ourselves that are not true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And, and so, and so, one of the things that I experienced with all these techniques is that um, they were really good for getting deep into the subconscious for the beliefs that were kind of driving my life, mm-hmm. right? The, and surfacing the lies and seeing that there was truth. They were. I, I was. I was successful with them. Uh-huh. But what changed, what changed my perspective um, was, we were talking about it earlier, I started asking questions about the nature of good and evil. In fact, I always had been. I wanted to find an answer like, evil is very clearly in the world. There are people, like we said, who do, there are wicked people who do bad things for bad reasons. And I found that I couldn't get anyone within Eastern, e- any Eastern religion or, or in New Age to give me a straight answer about it. Like, what, if it's all one... Does he get to be all one too? So what difference does it make if I try to be a quote-unquote good person, if I try to be a decent person, if he's a wicked person and he's still all one, why should I bother to even try, right? And That's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. So that that question, I kept asking and people didn't like that I was asking because I was like, no, I want an answer. That doesn't feel right. And so that was one of the contributing factors that led me to, to Christianity. And so um, there were. I I also you'll love this. I found a. um, a, uh, I went to Burning Man in 2015, um, and I found an underground Christian ministry that they were doing healing. They were doing Christian healing for people. They weren't partying or anything. They were just there to love people at this at this festival. And so that's how I got introduced to Christ. That proceeded over. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Um, That's a whole big story about that too. Wow. Um, but just to just to answer the question, I I when I went all the way through the New Age world, I've been to India. I've been. You mentioned Yogananda in yeah. in one of your answers. Yeah. I went to Paramahansa Yoga, his Self Realization Fellowship. Wow! I stayed in in the Self Realization camp uh-huh. at the Kumbh Hindu festival, which is wow. 190 million Hindus. Yeah, I've sat in the tree that Babaji was in. I went Whoa. to the one. I went to this. I went to the ashram in um it's it's not Varanasi but it's near there so i have explored all this yeah right? and you're still messing and so, up in life so clearly you de- yes well we, we never really stop right so 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 i asked i kept asking all the questions anyway so so um it wasn't until 2020 when when the pandemic happened that i started asking real questions about evil like we can't really deny that something's moving and that led me to christ and then i got baptized in september 2020 so coming up on 3 years ago and then wow. that has progressively transformed my my perspective on on everything as that as it shifted my understanding so do you find that the christian religion was able to give the answer to those questions the way that the eastern wasn't
2: i'm also really fascinated by the yogananda yeah. thing what what was your what was their take on it or from what you perceived it to be
0: oh so so what happened with Yogananda is, is um so i was reading his book while i was in india and cause, cause I, what do you, as you do you know, i yeah, read when so, no. you know, exactly, so I was reading that book, and then the Kumela festival was a, plays a big role in that book, and then I realized that it was happening at the same time as I was reading the book, and I was like, wow. "Well, I guess I'm going to the festival, so I did, wow. and true story, the airline lost my bag on the way there, so I went with just the clothes on my back, and I had to go buy uh, I had to go buy a, a backpack with like a sleeping bag and other clothes, so I went kind of as a pilgrim,
2: <laughs> Wow, so like everyone else, yeah. So it's like the Burning Man of, of brown people, where everyone's just already covered in dust and wearing tattered clothes. Yeah, it's exactly yeah. It's, uh, yeah <laughs> wow. Exactly right. It's
0: a good way of thinking about it. Yeah. It's fascinating. So I didn't. I wasn't really asking those questions at the time. I was just experiencing oh, okay. and gathering and gathering data.
2: I see. You know what? I really admire people who have had. Uh, who've kind of poked around things in a different way and studied different things to whatever depth, because then it it kind of is like, okay, well, you're not just sold on your own view. You have studied things and, uh, it, I really respect that.
0: Yeah, that's, I wanted answers. And that's one of the things that, that drew me to your content was that you weren't just accepting the status quo of the world that you, of this world that you were in, that we shared. You're like, no, like, People need to do better. I have something to say about this and I'm not going to make people happy, but I'm going to say it anyway. And I respect the heck out of that.
2: Thank you, man. I really appreciate that. You know what? I am actually really, really proud of myself for that. I'm really grateful I've had that, you know, my entire life. I kind of grew up, uh, you know, I grew up in Pakistan. I grew up in a society where I just didn't agree with the way that things were. And I just was like, no, I don't believe that things should be this way. And I was like, I'll do whatever it takes to do it differently. And I try mm. not to make an identity around it. I don't know what it is, but I'm just so lucky that that I just believe in something and I feel it and I move towards it. And lo and behold, other people feel and believe in it too. So it's really, 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 it's it's just, yeah, it's just, I just feel so fortunate to be able to take the chances to do that because I just look at society, I'm like, okay, this is the way. And I still, you know, I'm still in my journey of that. Uh, I'm like, nah, I think we can do better. But I think doing the better starts with things not accepting the way that things are and there's still a lot of things that i'm complacent about in in, in my role in the world as a, as a person and as a man and standing up for what i believe and there's a lot of uh, you know uh incongruencies between my beliefs and what i'm standing up for but i'm just mm. like you know one of the things that i believe in like how we can relate and, and a model for us for living and i'm like i don't really care what people think i the way that the status quo is is so bad that wherever mm. i will get to is going to be better even if i fail completely horribly it's still going to be better so i'm just really 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 uh blessed and and grateful uh for myself and for everything that that's there to to kind of not accept it because like you know if i had accepted way the things that were you know i come from a society you know it's like when in pakistan when you know when i was born the, the doctor was like congratulations mr sadar you have a boy and my dad was like you mean i have an engineer you know, it's like my life was dictated for me is since the moment that I was born, and uh, it's it's been really, it's been really, really challenging to go against these the status quo. But the thing is that I can't not do it. You know, there's only I I, I try to suppress myself, I try not to, but like eventually it just happens, and it's I'm lucky to be in that position to be like, no, nah, I'm not going to accept it. That we can do better, and I know I want to do better, and I know that it's possible, and I, I'm just driven by that. And I hope that I am able to do that in a way for all the areas that I believe in, really create the kind
0: of world that, uh, that I value. Do you find that these characters that you create, maybe not all of them, but some of them, do you find that based on maybe, maybe I've taken this from some of the things you're saying, do you find that the characters you create help hold you accountable to your higher standards? Like, do you ever look into a character or a skit and it's like, okay, yeah, that's totally me. I shouldn't do that anymore. Yeah, totally. Like I think it's, like it's working both ways. A lot of it's
2: observations, a lot of it's my own disappointments with myself, a lot of it's reflections upon my own behavior. It's such an interesting way to examine one's own psyche. Uh, so yeah, there, there's a, it's a mix of everything. It's a mix of what's the funniest thing that I can say What's the most extreme thing? What's something I know has happened to someone
3: uh,
2: or what they may feel? What's something that I'm struggling with myself? What's something that, uh, you know, I think is just, yeah, it's just combining all those things and just keep taking shots at it.
0: Mm-hmm. It's a, I think you said that you've probably upset a few people or maybe lost some friends unintentionally. Yeah, like definitely. It's, it's, comedians pay a high price for what they do. Yeah. I
2: think it's also, you know, one of the other things that I've learned uh, by watching comedians is that it's their consistency. It's like when you become consistently Mm. known for that's what they're doing, then people are just like, okay, you either like it or you don't. And people are going to like that, but it takes time to develop uh, that consistency and that kind of thick skin, which, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not really there with either of those things. That's why all of this is just Mm. play and practice for me to develop those two things
0: how does it how does it play when you when you do a live performance like what does that what does that look like up on stage like do people throw things at you
2: uh, man so the live performance thing is just like a recent thing uh it's it's evolved recently and it's never something I never thought I'd be doing any of the things i I've, I've done in my life or have done so far um it's just something that's born out of necessity like most things in my life I've been put into positions mm. where I'm just like yeah, yeah. I'm just like oh. In order for me to go to this next stage, I just got to do it in this way. So it's kind of a, an edge that I'm leaning into. Uh, uh, you know, one part of my personality is that I'm also, you know, really shy. You know, when I was a kid, my parents were really. Don't strike me as shy. I know. People don't think that. Uh, it's like when I'm lit up by. I things wonder why. That <laughs> Is that, But the people that do know me is like usually, uh, you know, when I was a child, I didn't speak for the longest time. My parents thought there was something Mm. wrong with me. So there's these parts that I'm, and being on stage and performing is like, you know, people that are singers and actors. Actors are are like, you know, there's a, I have so much respect for them that they're like, wow. Because it's easy to like be behind a keyboard and say these things, but to say them out loud while there's humans looking at you and it's really, really difficult. I actually ended up doing a performance last night uh, with my Tantric Dave character, and it was not that great. But it's just like, Mm. all of these are practice shots. So this is just like me practicing, because I know eventually it'll, but it's interesting. I try also not to have this, it'll eventually get to something or it'll be something, which is an interesting trap that I find myself in when people, so, you know, so what's going to happen? And like, what are you going to do with this? I'm like, I don't know. I'm just having fun. And I'm letting it, I'm trusting that it's going to work in the ways that it needs to, as it's always done in my life. Like, you know, I found that every time I try to define something or say that I have a two to three year plan, I'm really actually only limiting myself because what I've, what, what's happened has been magical and like exponentially more enriching i'm not going to say good because there's been challenges uh the good and bad but it's been it's been wider that wilder than i could have ever imagined so i don't know where this is going to go i'm learning the i'm practicing the performance part of it which is something is very very new to me writing feels natural but even then like even with the writing things like some of these jokes that i would write i remember one of the first times when i was you know back in that earlier period when I wasn't pursuing this, uh, you know, I wasn't sharing this as much. There was one joke that I wrote that I edited for like eight hours, no, more, eight to 10 hours. And I was just sitting there, I'm like, what the hell am I doing? I'm a guy that's in close to 40, spending 10 hours writing on a joke. Like, is this what I should be doing with my life? And I still have these moments now. It's like, you know, while most of my friends are, are like, really all the people are just like really working. I, most of my days I spend, writing jokes and I spent hours doing that and I'm like it's just the way to go like what am I doing it's 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 a bizarre reality
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean it's it's needed I mean I I think it's I think it's really I think it's important because one of the things that I've observed is that the the new age kind of set of beliefs they're kind of merging more into popular culture now it's kind of difficult mm-hmm. to avoid them you have like the Aubrey Marcuses and you have like the Russell brands and you have mm-hmm. a lot of these guys that are pretty significant and it's like who everyone on everyone on the stage you all you all get shots taken at you and Mm -hmm. like your world your worldview has to stand up to scrutiny and your character Mm -hmm. your persona has to stand up to scrutiny Mm -hmm. and there's not really a lot of people who do that because you can only do it from inside the world because on Mm -hmm. the outside it doesn't make sense looking in looking out from the inside you don't know the lingo you don't know Mm -hmm. the you know you don't know the body movements and you don't know how to put the words together like tantric Mm -hmm. what Mm-hmm. But if you know the lingo, then you're you're positioned well to be able to and and can and can use it accurately. You're positioned well to be able to make fun of people that kind of need to be made fun of. Frankly, yeah.
2: I think you know just to toot my own horn. Uh, some of this is Please. also uh, some of this is also just like learning to be a comedic writer, and being a writer. It's like you could yeah. give me any topic, or for most topics, and I will challenge it. Like I challenge my brain to come up with like anything. You know, as a, as an exercise. Uh, that I'd like to talk about more because it makes me sound smart than I actually do. But it's just, it's being, I think it's going back to what I was sharing earlier is like that that moment that I had with my brothers where we would just be off the top of the head, just being jokes nonstop. I think it develops us. And I don't know which came first. It's like the chicken or the egg or, or the masterclass and life coach, which came first. It's like, I don't know if I see things this way or because I've trained my brain to be this way. I just observe things and it's just, There's a part of it where it's like, you know, I don't have to be in in a certain environment to make a joke about it. So I did the sketch about uh, this joke about maps, uh, you know, the psychedelic conference. And even before that, and to be honest, a lot of the jokes that I do are all pre-written before I've experienced any of it. So, yeah, it does help people like, oh, you know, you must get so much of it because, you know, you live in Tulum or you live in that. I'm like, yeah, but it's also just like... When you write and you think in this way, you don't. it definitely does help to be a part of it, but you don't have to necessarily be a part of it to, to know what's what. This is a little bit where the creativity uh, comes in. And I find it to be really interesting when I'm like, I was going into map, hadn't been there. I wrote about four different characters. And it's also really fascinating watching this because, you know, I get to see again what society is thinking. Because the second that I, you know, as what we're always, for the most part, I think what we're always doing is like, trying to reaffirm our beliefs, right? On one level or the other, of, of the way that the world is and the way that we are. And when I'll say something, you'll start to see everyone's beliefs. Like if I'll talk about Tulum, everyone's going to have their opinions about it, usually negative. And it's so fascinating to see that. I'm like, wow, these are the opinions that people have. Some of them who are like, who've never experienced this. I'm like, whoa, it's so interesting how, how I, myself, and everyone's just forming these opinions. So uh, some of it's just, cre- just, just genius on my part.
0: <laughs> it reminds me of uh so so I've been to a lot of the uh the, the new age enclaves. So I've been to you know I've been to Byron, I've been to obviously to Sedona cuz I live in uh, Arizona, I've yeah. been to iquitos right? And I've also been to Goa. And uh and so you know there's different parts of Goa that people can visit, but I've actually been I guess you might say backstage into some of the expat kind of community <laughs> yeah. areas of Goa yeah. and it's and of course I've been to Koh Phangan, Thailand. So I've been to all these places. Yeah. And, and, and that's the thing is like when you live in them and you spend time in them rather than just like passing through, you get a sense of, of what's going on. And, and it does, I think it does actually help because, because again, we talked about earlier the Mm self-seriousness because there is so much self-seriousness in these, in these communities. It's like, guys, like relax. Why is it so tense here? Like you're in paradise, you know, with your American Express black card.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you know, and the other aspect of this is, it's interesting uh, while we're on this topic. I think part of, of being a different color and a different nationality is also part of it. I think I've spoken about this with other people of color is yeah. that, you know, when we have, uh, we have, um, you know, I know my, my I think it was, it was my ex-girlfriend, but they're like, when there's black people around, it'll never get to that level. Like, we'll just keep each other real. We'll just be like, wait, did you just hear what came out of your mouth? And I think that it's really fascinating when I go to a lot of these ceremonies and like uh, the people that are leading this, which are almost always white, they Mm -hmm. take themselves so like their word. And it's like the space and it's just like, Oh my God. Like it's this prophetic knowledge that's coming from them. Like I, I I was like, I wish you guys had the checks and balances that most, people of color and different minorities have that you would never, you would not get to this position of acting a fool out loud all over. Cause the people would have just checked Mm. you way before. So I think part of that also comes, and this is a really challenging part because uh, for, for myself as well is that, you know, I I grew up in Pakistan for the first 18 years of my life. And then Mm. I escaped the, the, the enslavement over there. And I came to the West when I was 19 and I lived for another 18 years Uh, in the west and then i escaped that enslavement so i've been very fortunate to have uh you know a a perspective that's seen both sides of it and it's really really interesting that because you know the first 18 19 years i have to remind myself like i'd never seen white people for the first 19 years of my life so whenever i'm in these spaces it's still it's still you know exactly like how like what a what a Horrible suffering of, of an existence, like not seeing white people, you know, is 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 really difficult. It's really difficult. <laughs> so now when I finally overcame that, and uh, it's just it's so wild. It's just like being in these spaces, I think coming from where, and I'm also, you know, it's uh so coming into these spaces where it's mostly white people, and I'm usually, if not the only one, one of the few people of color. I'm like, are you guys listening to yourself? What the hell is going on here? It's really wild. I think also combined with this, the fact that I try to reconcile these parts of me, that I have like this biggest cynical part of me. That's so cynical. That's so uh, that's uh, yeah. It's just extremely cynical. That just finds like the most cynical way of looking at everything. But I also have this part of myself. That's like the most optimistic and loving and not necessarily loving, but like just believes in everything. And it's just like almost naive. And it's these two parts of myself that I'm also, you know, in this comedic process, it's, it's a lot of, it's my own healing of, of, of like these two parts of it that I have in myself. Like I'll see something and naturally my brain is in a way that it'll come up with like the most cynical way to look at it. Uh, and it's just so interesting to be able to, to bring all these voices, uh, you know, to, to bring them forward and not have it just live in my
0: brain. I have you guys have to deal yeah. with
2: it? Cause
0: I'm done. Exactly. This shit. <laughs>
2: it's
0: all, it's your problem now. It's your Instagram. Problem now. It's, yeah. I remember we we've been talking about doing this episode for a while, and I remember yeah. you mentioned that you had grown up in Pakistan, and like yeah. that's what a huge what a huge transition to move from from Pakistan to the United States. Yeah, when you were nineteen, like what a huge yeah, shift. Yeah, eighteen. Yeah, I mean like what, I mean where did you move from and where did you move to? So I used to live in Pakistan uh, in Karachi. That's the city that I grew up in, and I would lived
2: there uh, my entire life. And I'm one of the. F- in my immediate family i'm the only one that's that left you know my brothers still live in in the home and and they have an amazing life there but it's just it was like you know i was in this position where i kind of grew up in a society where i which i just fundamentally didn't agree with i was like this should not be happening people should not be treating each other like this like people should uh, and like women should be treated this way and as I'm saying all of this, I'm I'm equally a part of all of this because I have my blind spots and I still say these things and sure. act in counter to them. But I just had like it goes back to what you were what we were saying earlier about how amazing I am. In that I I, I kind of had this feeling that I was like, Nah, just kidding everybody. <laughs> I'm uh, partially. Uh, I was like, Nah, this is this is not right. This is not the way that I want things to be. And so you know, combined with that is like when we were growing up, uh, you know, it's I, this is something that's still a part of. Uh, you know, I want to call it the work, but it's, it's kind of the package that I was, uh, that I come with is like the sense of an internalized sense of racism, you know, how the colonialism has worked is that, you know, we were obviously a British colony as well. And there's these ideas that are fed into us at such a young age that, you know, our color of our skin wasn't, clean, uh, wasn't as great and that the whiter you are, the better if you are blonde. Uh, you know, it's these wild ideas that were cast into my brain when I was such a young child through watching cartoons that were all made, you know, all the TV programs we watched were all Western and American. So mm. having this sense of this really complex sense of part of it was this self-loathing and this disgust that I'm like, oh, that I'm not as amazing or as beautiful as a, as a white person or the ideals and standards of what beauty are. And it's such a wild journey to be a part of, to be like, whoa, this color, this identity. And it's, it's just, it's all. And, you know, now I tell people that I'm Pakistani and that I, um, but it's still like, it took me a long time to do that. And I used to be like, oh, and that also became, it also, I started to tell people, that more because the circles that I was hanging out in were like super, you know, tropical, uh, all these places. So now all of a sudden I became exotic. And it's like, you know, if I grow, if my beard is a little bit longer, I start to cross into the terrorism line. So it's like I'm always, mm. this, this version of me is always dealing with these identity things of, of like color and, uh, and, and what it means to be. And so, you know, I, I kind of grew up and I was like, nah, these things aren't, I, this is not the way that I want to live but I also had like the life of a prince, you know before I moved at the age of nineteen, I had never made cereal. I didn't know, and I thought beds just made themselves, like I kind of oh grew yeah, up in, like, I grew up in like in this really, really, really incredible golden, golden handcuffs where I was just like, uh, but there's a part of me that was like, no, I want to experience something different. I want to. I want to, I want to move to, I want to experience a different kind of society, but also, you know, a lot of, a lot of it was like my, my personal environment, my family was going through a lot of challenges and it was quite, ter- uh, there's a lot of turmoil there that I was just consumed by. And I was like, you know what? Mm-hmm. I need to get out. I need to get out of all of this. I need to, and I, and the only way that I could get out was to become an engineer. And so I said, I'm going to become an engineer. And that was my way out of, uh, that was my way to out of the West. That's how I escaped.
0: I was gonna say, like that's how you that's how you got from Pakistan to here to Canada. Yeah,
2: to, that's why I'm also okay. Canadian. Yeah, I'm also Canadian. I'm not American. I'm also Canadian, and right. that's how I got to Canada, and that was my way out. And uh, yeah, and it's been really crazy because, like, you know, that was my that was my way out. But uh, after a certain time, I was living, and people don't know this about me is that. Some people don't. uh Some people know this is that you know. Before I was doing all this art, I used to actually be living a very traditional life. I used I was, you know, an engineer. I owned a house. I had you know white picket fence, beautiful trophy wife. I had all of that. I lived that life as well. And not to say beautiful that I trophy wife. Yeah, it's like you know I had all of it, oh. and not to say I wouldn't go back to it, but uh, it took like. It took all of that falling away to, to start to ask those questions of you know who am I as a person and what am I here to do and that's it's been a oh. it's been a really really fascinating journey.
0: That's really interesting. Okay, because be, so you 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 were born in Pakistan. You became yeah. an engineer. Yeah. becoming a becoming an engineer. I was born to say engineer. how did you're born? And obviously, you came out yeah. with a protractor. You're either you born, know. yeah. You're either born an engineer. or You're born a wife. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right, exactly yeah. The, <laughs> So um, and so you so you use that because you left Pac- you would have been you would have left Pakistan like around two thousand three two thousand four. Uh-huh. It's not an yeah. easy time to get over to the west. Yeah, from yeah. Pakistan at around yeah. that moment. Although it was a good yeah. time to leave. It's a good time to leave. It was, you know, it was, and it was really interesting. It was only it was like you know,
2: as human beings, when we're just put in these in these situations where we're we're creatures of survival, we'll do whatever it takes. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's really interesting. It was only, so on my 37th uh, year, I actually turned 38 in four days. On 37th, mm. yeah, I, t- I decided to go back. I escaped the West and I, I, and, uh, I fled the West and I, and I went back because so I thought, oh, things are amazing over here. You guys aren't depressed, but it's, a different kind of oppression altogether it's it's uh-huh. a very invisible Surprise. one which we, yeah it's a really really interesting one which we can talk about because like you know in the east at least we knew we were uh, we were suppressed we knew the, the 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 suffering was just apparent like you know there's poverty there's uh there's oppression from the uh, financial oppression there's cultural religious oppression but the interesting corruption. thing is corruption and all those things that, that come with it and uh, But the West, you know, especially primarily America has always been like, we're we're the best and we're the most incredible. And then when I got over here, I'm like, wait, well, I thought that only we were shit, but you guys are actually shit as well. Like we're all equally. We have our own shit. We all have our own shit. And like, that's been a really incredible journey because, you know, being part of that internalized racism is that we subconsciously or kind of consciously put uh, Westerners or white people in in a certain, that they're better than us. And these are crazy things that I Mm -hmm. still have to deal with, like these these implicit conditions and these emotions that I have, uh, such yeah. subconscious stuff that happens. And it's a really crazy journey, like dealing with it and observing with it and feeling guilty and feeling stupid and feeling sad. And it's, it's, it's really wild. But yeah, I got lucky enough to be able to see that, you know, that it's just the enslavement over here looks different. It's just that things are just nicer on the outside, you know it's it's a more there's more money there's more money from the empire, so things just look nice, but if you start to look deeper you 're like all of it's also not necessarily a facade, but like all the pain and suffering is just there in the east that it was just much more apparent over here it 's not as apparent, which I find it to be uh is this like it's it's almost in a way more challenging because it's like you know we, ha- we we're so comfortable. We see all the shit, but we're so comfortable that we're not willing to face it because, you know, we're coming at, we're living in a society where now, you know, you can numb yourself at any moment. It was as if it wasn't enough that we had, you know, media. It's fascinating to be in the United States where I'm like, wow, you guys have so many options. Like every, every person's TV I I, I put on, it's like they've got these 10 networks, they have billions of shows accessible to them. And I'm like, whoa, that's wild to live in this, in this time. So it's really fascinating to, to be able to have a perspective of both the cultures, uh, of, of both the of both the perspectives. And it's also really, really, really difficult because it, take whatever topic that you have, both the eastern view, almost, I would say, if not almost every single time, most of the time, the views are completely different. And trying to reconcile these two different value systems at all the times is so complex. It's so complex. You know, I'll give you one example. It's like, from my perspective, it's like in, in, from for my culture when, when we grew up, it's like we were told these stories of like how to treat a guest and how the guest is God. And like, you know, you're supposed to just treat them the best that you can and like give to people. But over here, I come and I'm, I'm like, I'm with and I'm hearing of all these things of boundaries. Like we don't even know what boundaries. I didn't know what boundaries were until like, you know, not to say that that's a good thing. But it's just like, it's so different. Like with the view over here is like, oh no, you know, you should have boundaries and give to people and give to them in a certain way and this and that. It's, it's a head trip trying to reconcile all these, uh, all these uh, different views.
0: Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, I, I completely understand because that's one of the things that I learned. One of the most valuable things that I learned from my travels was, you know, that, that every culture, every country has its shit that it's dealing with. <laughs> and in coming, from the, from, coming from the American side, we are really bombarded with the shit of America. Like mm-hmm. growing up in the country, like, the media is not shy about telling us how awful America is. What it projects to the outside is, particularly at the time when you were moving here, like George W. Bush, mm-hmm. like, we're amazing, we're amazing. But for the past 20 years or so, it's mm-hmm. been like, no, we're terrible. And we should, we should you know, bend the knee and we should really feel guilty and ashamed for who we are. And then I traveled, I went the other way. I went to India. I didn't get to Pakistan, but I've been to Kashmir. Same, same. And I've been to some, yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, exactly. So I got to see like, no, these countries have their shit too. And it's not because of America. It's their own, it's their own cult. It's their own cultural, economic, social, religious, familial, you know, oppression Mm -hmm. is happening here. It's showing up at a very different level. And so I walked away from that experience being like, everyone in the world has their stuff. Yeah. That they're dealing with, and it was a very. It was I, I developed a lot of compassion for the human condition as a result yeah. of that. Instead of yeah. just believing my country was the source of all evil, yeah. right? To be like, no, there's there's something really there's every different country that I visited has its own set of challenges. America's uh-huh. problems are bigger uh-huh. because we're we're in many bigger. ways the uh, we're not the biggest country in the world, but we're the biggest country in the world. Like we don't have yeah. the biggest population, but we have the largest influence in the world. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. And so our our problems will be bigger and we will seem magnified, but mm-hmm. that doesn't mean if I go to a country like Vanuatu, which is like a small little uh, a small archipelago in, in the South Pacific, they have their problems too, mm-hmm. and they're just as real and they're just as present. And so that really helped me see. That's yeah. how I reconcile with the. the yeah. It's like wow, how do I put these together? Like we're here on Earth, and, and there is something called the human condition, and yeah. suffering is one of the big characteristics of it.
2: Yeah. You know, I'm also really yeah exactly how you're saying is that I'm also really grateful that I got a chance to have these different data points and different perspectives because mm-hmm. you know, we only grew up with the perspectives for the most part, and you know some and 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 some people, you know, I was sharing this with with a friend of mine is that you know I, I got so lucky to be able to do this uh, to get all these different uh, different uh, data points to get a, a more. Uh, accurate, uh, well, at least uh, a slightly less skewed perspective, but also is, is like, people are like, well, it's not just that you are lucky. Yes, you are lucky because, you know, I'm truly one of the few people that I know that grew up in Pakistan and is sitting in the places in the, in the world that I am. Like, I usually go into space. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm the only one that's grew up there. Not that my parents were there and I was born here. It's like, no, I grew up there. I spent half my life there and I'm in these spaces and I'm constantly, I try to, to be in a state of like, gratitude because like it's so rare that someone gets to gets to do this and the fact that i get to do this is like man it has to it has to it has to be of some benefit to others in some way or the other not that you know that's what gives it meaning but it's just like it's like man i'm so i'm in such a fortunate position in my life i i would love to be able to use this as a way to contribute to other people as well rather than, and that's one of the, one of the things that I'm most excited about in the coming years and some of the ideas that I have uh, to see them come to fruition. But yeah, I'm really grateful that you've also had the chance to uh, have the district perspective. And you know, one of the things that I've realized is that the kind of people that there's strands of people that I'm drawn towards with that we have a a deeper bond. And it's usually people who have experienced different cultures because Mm -hmm. And that just gives them a perspective, because usually it's like you know implicitly, we're just like my way is the right way, and if you happen to be in a country where you're the uh, where I wouldn't say the i don't know if that's statistically true or not of white people are the are the majority in the United States, but mm. yeah so, so just to have those to, yeah, to have those views, so i I'm drawn to people that have had culture that have uh it's it's also very different because when people have lived in different countries. They have a different sense of, and this is also something that I struggle with of like how to be in spaces because, like, we don't have this idea of something being mine. It doesn't exist. It's like it, there is never mine. Like, you know, it's just like we use everything is all of ours.
0: Oh, and sure. Yeah.
2: So it's really wild coming into these places where everything is like, you know, over here, I, uh, a lot of the people I go to eat. And they're like, this is my edition. This is my thing. And this and it's just, it's so wild. So I'm really drawn to people that have had a different uh, exposure and people that are, that have some sort of religious, uh, you know, influence on them as well. Surprisingly, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm drawn to those people as well. Uh, and I'm, you know, I'm curious to know, I mean, you you kind of mentioned your own religious thing, but you didn't grow up religious, did
0: you? Uh, I didn't grow up religious, but I did grow up Jewish, which isn't. I didn't grow up religious, but there we were doing the things, but I wouldn't say it was ever really about God in, wow. in any grounded way.
2: And and I'd like to come back to that. And the third kind of person that I yeah. find uh, that I get really uh, along with that I find a deep resonance is is people who are. Our uh, our professionals have some sort of critical, like scientific background, or have studied mm-hmm. something really deeply. That I'm like, oh wow, you think about things. It's not just you know you have a process of critical understanding and 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 questioning things and looking at things and data rather than just being moved by emotions. So uh, mm-hmm. those are the kinds of people that I'm finding myself being most drawn to. Uh, coming, uh, so I just wanted to ask you. So what was mm-hmm. that like for your for your family to to go from you know Judaism to being I'm, I'm a Christian now.
0: Mm, I lost all of my family except for my dad. I'm not invited to Thanksgiving anymore. I don't hear from him anymore. Wow. It, was, it was explicitly over that too. There was, a, there was an intervention that was done. They confronted me with it by surprise. Wow. And yeah, so I, I, I talk to my dad regularly. I still bump into my cousin um, at a local cigar bar and we're cool. We were never like super close anyway, but we're still cool. But the rest of the family, um, the rest of my family, like I don't have any contact with them anymore. Damn. Wow. Mm.
2: You know, I had I had something similar with with my uh, with me. It was the other way around. My father, you know, when I was, my father disowned me like ten years ago, and he's never spoken to me Ugh. a single word since then. Yeah, it's been Wait, really, why? it's really really difficult.
0: Oh, I'm so sorry. Well, man.
2: Well, you know, yeah, it's it's really really complex and it's really challenging. It's it's uh, there's how it actually occurred was that it was when I told him that I, you know, I'd kind of decided that I was going to live in this way because he had my life all set out for me. Not being an engineer. Yeah, it was just like, you know, how it actually occurred was like when I was about 27 and I'd finally graduated from engineering school, you know, I I kind of did all the things that he wanted to and he was going to come to my graduation ceremony. This was like one of his biggest joys, like, you know, to see his son being an engineer because at that time I was Mm. the only one that graduated and like, you know, I was the quote unquote golden child. And, you know, I, I kind of told him, I was like, you know, dad, when you come here, there's a girl that I would like you to meet. And he said that I was dead, and he never spoke to me ever again after that. Because there was a, wait, because there was a girl you wanted to meet? And it was just, you know, it was kind of something that was against his, his view of how things should be. Mm, and it's, was she the it's, wrong color? She was the wrong I think, you know, there's so many layers to it. There's so many layers to it that I'm also, you know, part of it's just like, uh there's the you know coming from this culture where it's super patriarchal and masculine dominated uh and you know it, it was like it was ways. It, in unhealthy ways is that it's his way or the highway and that's just what he wanted it's just like you mm. know if you if you're not going to if you're not going to listen to what i have to say there's elements of control there's ele- it's like it's so complex it's so complex you know because there's elements of like yeah. control but there's also elements of like genuinely believing that that's the best for me and wanting the best for me and it's just like it's so complex to go through all these layers you know because it's never really one thing like it'd be easier to be like oh you know he is also that he's a narcissist or he wants things in a certain way and that's about it but and then and it's so confusing to hold all these all these different possible uh things in in one in, in one view you know it's just like well could it also be that this this and this and this and this and this and this and this and, this? and it's just it's it's really mind grabbing. so that for me you know that's also kind of going back to the original thing of like not standing for the status quo is for me to be for me to do the things that i do and what it's cost me you know uh it's like there's mm-hmm. no other way i'm not going to back down from it it's like the amount of you know what it takes to be an artist and a performer on its own is something that's just so remarkable because of how challenging that is to be a person of color and an immigrant and and, you know i try not to create my Mm -hmm. identity around it because i'm way bigger than that but like it's kind of like when people ask me they're like why are you so gung-ho about this or you're going to do this or are you going to do this i'm just like dude i'm not here to settle for these things because like i've gone through so much shit like if i had to settle Mm -hmm. i would have settled back there i would have never been here but something in me causes me not to settle, and and like you know, the things that the, the price that I've had to pay for it uh, to be outcast from from, uh, from my own family in that way is just like it's like there's no stopping. It's just like I'm going to keep going. I'm I'm here to do all these things, and none of it like is going to ever let me stop in living out the ideals and ideas that I uh, that I'm so deeply moved by. Because I think about these things mm-hmm. all the time, about how the way that I want to live and how I think. It. And it's just like, no, nah, man, I've, I've, lo- I've, I've gone through a lot of stuff to, to give up. And, 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 and quite frankly, the status quo is not, is not worth it. I'm not interested in, in being a part of it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you did the... First of all, Like, thank you for that. And, and, um, and I'm sorry for the, the grief and the loss. And I'm sorry for, yeah. for what must be 10 years of, of pain to have to make a hard choice. Like that, because I think yeah. um, for those of us, you know, for those of us who have who, who are fortunate enough to grow up with fathers, to grow up with intact homes, because that's mm-hmm. not every everyone's experience these days. But mm-hmm. and especially to grow up in an achievement-oriented culture, mm-hmm. you know, where it's like you, you know your where your success matters to the family. That was my mm-hmm. upbringing. Like you know, to that's be a professional idea. and yeah. yeah, exactly. And so and so to not be that right mm-hmm. to be like that somehow is not me. It doesn't fit. It's not working. And, the, and, and the, to feel the harder you push for it, the more it starts to fall apart. Yeah. And then to actually have to be like, am I going to do this? And what is this going to do? Because when I, when, I, um, when I became Christian, that was my worry. Like, am I going to lose my dad over this? Yeah, wow. Right? And, and, and um, I'm very grateful that I, that I didn't. Um, but I was like, I, but I definitely faced down what you're experiencing now. It's like, okay, I have to confront... My own father with the truth about who I am, yeah. and take that risk. Like, am I gonna? Okay, I'm just gonna make it through. And so you, you, you took that risk, and 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 you've been living with it for ten years. And so, yeah. um, I, I can. And it's it's hard. It's hard. And it you haven't, really have you spoke? You haven't spoken since then at all. Or? He,
2: he chooses not to speak to me. I've tried to speak to him. It's just uh, you know, it's just it's. I can also see it from his perspective. It's just like there's so much expectation and so much pain and so much. It's like, I I think he doesn't want to open those doors and, uh, you know, it's not for me to force that upon him. I hope, I pray for it that one day he's able to open those doors, but man, it's just so crazy. It's just so, there's, it's so wild, you know, and this was part of my struggle when I was growing up and it's just like, how is like having the discernment between the culture, the values, the religion and the society. When you're, when okay. I was growing up, I don't, I didn't have that. All of it just seemed one. And like, you know, I, uh, mm-hmm. speaking about my, my self-contempt, a lot of my self-contempt came from the fact that I was Muslim, that I was Islamic and, and how the world views Islamic people for the most part. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, um, and that even too, I've been able to go beyond because I, I know that it's an unconscious thing. I know I have my, my unconscious biases about people and about races and about whatnot. So it's been, it's been really, really, it's, it's, it's a really crazy journey to see when I was younger, all of it was like, I'm bad because I'm Muslim and this is what Muslim people do. And a lot of it was to see the way that women were treated, to be honest, because seeing how, mm-hmm. uh, seeing how my mother was treated in certain situations or how society, you know, coming back to this is, uh, it's the same point. It's interesting how that keeps coming back again. Like when i was growing up i saw that i was in the situation where there was a lot of turmoil in my home and my father being an incredible you know you know from, from he kind of grew up in this classical age where a man was defined by being a provider and he was an inc- and still is to this day an incredible provider and mm-hmm. an incredible you know his role was also to challenge his children and to give them discipline and he was incredible at doing all those things so you know in his not to, uh, you know not to just say anything uh, like that it's just like from how he was told what a man was or how he perceived it to be. He was doing a really, really, really incredible job and he still continues to do that and I'm so grateful you know I, I know people whose fathers weren't there and my father was you know he was there in in the ways that he thought of being there which was uh, being a financial provider you know and uh yeah. and and maybe he wasn't able to be there physically or emotionally as much because he was working so much or didn't have those tools but you know i want to acknowledge that that that's just how, that's uh, that that is how it was but but the part of it was like you know seeing the way that that the women were treated and when i was young is that you know We had no place to go. We had no place to escape, and we were in this in this in this in this predicament of being with the person that really loves us and takes care of us so much, but also just had uh, a a bad temper. And I noticed that society had failed us. I was like, "Wow, we—I have no place to go. We have no place to go and be safe." And that's where my first—you know—when I was really young, I was like, "Whoa, society's really fucked up. Society's—and I—you know—now that I start to connect these dots, like, no wonder I'm a satirist." wonder I'm I'm this way, you know. It's like of course, because like at a very young age, I saw how we were failing, and I'm like, whoa, these adults have failed me. And it was such a, it's such you know, this is one of the things that I'm so passionate about, and, and I want this to be something I make a contribution as is, is just like giving people places of, of, of safety, because like we really have failed so much as a society, and and mm-hmm. in so many of these areas where the vulnerable people aren't protected, in uh, you know whether that's a, Women or children or minorities or animals or or nature, you know, Uh, not to say nature is vulnerable, but the way that we've exploited it. So it started at a very young age where I was like, whoa, society is really messed up. And I think that's kind of uh, that's also stuck with me. And it was at a very later age in my life that I started to that I'm still you know, dismantling all these, like, you know, what part is culture? What part is religion? What part is patriarchy? What part is society? What part is, because all of it can get so easily blended up into one. And mm-hmm. the way that the patriarchal model was 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 created, at least of my understanding, was that they Muslim used all, yeah, is that they used all these things to, To support their own belief that, oh, you know, even the religion says that the man is supposed to be the superior and is this, and even the culture says that. So I had to say no to all of it. And now I'm in the process of uh of reconciling that. And it's uh of like reconciling those differences. And you know, we're we are that's what all the comedy and the satire is about, is about all those traumas that we as human beings have faced, the traumas of power, sex, God, money, religion, family, all these things and race, you know, all these things that are core uh, causes of these traumas is to like now start to talk about them, to start to share them, to start to examine them in different ways. And it's, uh, it's a really, really fascinating, uh, part of this journey to be able to separate these things, to be like, Hey, what's, what exactly is, is what? And and, uh, yeah, it's just so wild. So wild.
0: Yeah. I mean, what I, what I hear, thank you. And I can relate to all of that because, you know, I can, what I hear is that your, your conscience is very much driving you. Something is wrong. This is not right. I can't mm-hmm. quite say why it's wrong, but now I'm gonna go look for answers that, that that help me know why what I'm experiencing, what I've been subjected to, you know, all that and, and even things that I've done are wrong. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's so important. Because a lot of people Yeah, yeah.
2: My laptop's about to die.
0: No problem. Yes. Yeah. So a lot of people, um, I can just I can just cut that out. So a lot of people don't have that sense, you know, or they don't have a sense they they don't have that same well-developed sense that tells them that something's wrong, or if they have that developed sense they're too passive to do anything about it, or they're afraid to do anything about it or they're afraid to ask the questions. And that's that's one of the things that I think is so important about what you're doing and that is important about about the about the I guess you might say the new age world in general is that it does act, there are sincere people that mm-hmm. ask sincere questions, that are troubled about why things are the way they are, and they go looking, right? And, mm-hmm. and that's, that's something that's so important, that, and, and I can relate to all that because that was mm-hmm. me, right? Like, what, like, this is not right. As soon as I became aware that things were not right, I went looking for answers. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and that's a very noble thing, because a lot of people, do, they don't understand that impulse. And, and that's one of the reasons why this moment in history is so scary, because we, you and I, and, and I'm sure many listening can look around and see how wrong things are and also see at the same time, there are some people who are like, what do you mean? It's fine. What are you talking about? It's fine. Mm-hmm. Like, are you paying attention? And so that I, I honor that sense of conscience in you that wants to take apart your culture, your upbringing, your background, the culture mm-hmm. that you move to, your goals, your choices, your decisions. Mm-hmm. Like That is so powerful and it's so, so strong and I honor you for that.
2: Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You know, I am so, you know, it used to be like, I, I used to feel that being born a Pakistani Muslim guy was like this this, this horrible uh, disadvantage that I had, this crippled mm. thing that I have. And, you know, I still bounce from both sides of it because it's not something necessarily make that makes me better. But I'm just lucky to have had these uh, these experiences that I had, you know, growing up in the kind of society and in the family system that I did. I'm so grateful for all of those experiences to inform where I want to be, uh, where I want to lead this, uh, you know, with the, where I want to make contributions
0: uh, my mm. life. Do you have time for just a couple more questions? I know you've yeah, probably sure. got a life. That, okay, cool. So, so when you were, so it sounds to me that that that, um, and I can relate to this as well. That you had built up this life for yourself as an engineer, right? Very financially successful, materially <laughs> successful. Mm-hmm. and and then you had a, something happened you had a moment where it all kind mm-hmm. of started unwinding mm-hmm. and you chose a new path like what mm-hmm. was what happened there was it an awakening was it like mm-hmm. a screw this like mm-hmm. what, what was that because i had no idea <laughs> i had mm-hmm. no idea but it makes a lot of yeah. sense now
2: yeah uh you know uh, i'll answer that and i'm also in that same period right now so i'll get to that as oh. well and how it's interesting yes at that point it was just like i was kind of going along with with the program uh of like what was expected of me and uh i didn't really question it too much you know it's interesting because like i wasn't uh there's a part of me that that had these questions but there's also part of me that for many years was was not like i was not into any sort of conscious things you know i always had faith because when i grew up i had these the religious aspect uh was was there so i had this belief and i had this inner connection to to god uh but when I was there, it's like, not, so what had happened was uh, I was 27 and I'd been with my girlfriend for seven years and she broke up with me. She, mm. uh, we were about to get married and like, this is the woman that I had basically uh, told to my family and been turned, like, you know, my family, my father had kind of left me for. And I was like, mm. and so basically when that happened, my entire world was just pulled out from under my feet. I was at the age of 27 I had no idea who I was because I'd spent seven years of my life in partnership with this person. So I'm like, wait, who am I? What do I want? And it was just like not being able to find that within myself to be like, well, I don't even know what I want. What's going on? Like, what 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 am I interested about? And You know, because like when I was growing up, I was always this really, really uh, artistic kid. I was always creative. But then... I was written. I was writing books before I could speak. Like I would just write and write and draw and and like make mixtapes. I would do all these creative things, but then you know, of course, we start to get older, and I was told that I had to be serious and that I had to do serious things. And like so, there's a part of me that for many many years didn't really question this path. It was just, uh, and then when that happened, when I was 27, is she she broke up with me, and that just rocked my world. And mm-hmm. so the next two years. I spent uh, in uh, two three years of just sex drugs and rock and roll it was just a party lifestyle sex drugs rock and roll and uh, and what was funny was like you know I was I owned a house with her and she basically uh, gave me money which I called alimony and she gave me that money and so basically I had this this huge amount of cash and I was making a lot of money as an engineer and blowing a lot of it on drugs and women and you know I was a womanizer and an alcoholic and 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 a functioning alcoholic, not like drinking every day, but, you know, excessively drinking, binging, uh, womanizing and all those things. And, and what had happened was, and I was kind of perfectly cool with that lifestyle. You know, it was just like, uh, there's a lot of people like, I always knew that I was going to do this thing. It's like, I didn't know any of this shit. I was perfectly cool. When at that age, I was, I was like, you know, I'm cool being the, old bachelor guy that you see who's in his 50s and it's just with women and it's just like you know he spent all his money on himself and you know he just looks younger than everyone is just like smoking drinking partying in his 50s i was like i'm cool with being that guy i, I, mm-hmm. I can't wait and then what happened was one of my friends uh, two of my friends and i uh, we did this thing they brought me into it they're like we're gonna do this sobriety thing with alcohol and I was like, I am not doing it. You guys have the problem. I'm <laughs> chilling. I'm happy with myself. Like, I'm cool. I'm chilling. I like this. I'm, I like it. I'm like, <laughs> I, I can see the downside of it, but I'm, I'm okay with it. Uh, and what had happened then was we did this thing uh, called 90 Days Without My Whiskey Ways. Uh, and I basically didn't drink for 90 days. And what happened then mm. was, was actually, once a, prior to this, uh, prior to that leading point, what happened was that so I was making a lot of money, engineer, got a lot of money. Everything's going good, but like that's when it started to happen where I was like, wait, I'm still not fulfilled. Like, I've got this incredible life. I've got this beautiful apartment, people over at my house. I was like, wait. And that's when I started to s- scratch this itch of like, wait, am I, I think I'm meant to create. I think I'm meant to be creative. I think I'm starting to, because none of this stuff was bringing me fulfillment anymore. You know, it's like I did it for a little while, but I was like, nah, this is not it. This is not it. And I start to, but the thing was, I would always be so hungover or drunk or intoxicated that I could never make art. And so I was like, okay, this needs to stop. Yeah. But I was still so deep into it that I couldn't stop. And then what happened was the 90 days down, my whiskey waste thing happened. And the most incredible thing that happened out of it was my relationship to women changed. Uh, prior to that, it was like a sexual sobriety that happened without even knowing it. Prior to that, I was, um, you know, engaging. I was meeting women mostly either drinking or at after parties at the end of the night where it was just about like getting something from them, like using them either to conquer conquest or at the end of the night where I'm feeling shit and I just want to unload and just take something from them. And that's when Mm -hmm. I started to first experience my uh, sexual connection with a woman where it was not about taking and it was about being there and and it was like, I'm not trying to get anything from her. It was just like, we were in this moment, just sharing and experiencing. And that was extremely profound. It was extremely, Mm -hmm. it was life changing. So that's kind of when I started down my path of, uh, uh, that's when I started to make a big change and I ended up doing, um, so what I did was I did a vision quest that took me to the four corners and the four elements of the world, uh, four elements in the four corners of the world. Uh, that's a story I think I'll tell for the next time, but in each of these, there was like a, a successive in each chapter, I faced a different element and a different answer was unveiled to me about my path and what I was meant to be doing here, uh, at mm. that part at that time the question that i had was like am i meant to be an artist and you know it's been almost 8 to 9 years where i've been living completely as an artist and it's been mm. it's been really 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 profound and the point that i'm at right wow. now is you know i'm also again in that point which happened last year is that i've been very lucky to have you know the lifestyle i've lived a very 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 incredible lifestyle cuz I also, after I became an artist, I also became, somehow I became a body painter. And I basically traveled the world painting. I've been to most of the luxury places. I've been to really, really cool parties. I've had really peak experiences. I've lived in beautiful places. I've lived primarily in tropical locations, luxury locations all over the world for most of, of like my last six years. And I was sitting, you know, I was this happened like a couple of months ago. And I was like, wait, I'm still not happy. Like, I've got all these things. I've got all the experiences but I'm like, but what's happening is like, I can't, I was like, wow, I, I, am I'm, I'm, I'm able to experience any of this. This is just me adding things on top of each other. It's just like, oh no, maybe I need to experience this, or maybe I need to go here, or maybe I need to do that retreat, or maybe I need to have that friend or but I was like, but I'm not here. I'm like, I'm not here at all. I'm, I'm, I'm asleep. And it was like the saddest thing is just like, you know, realizing that, that, all the time, all of it's always right here. It's always been, and yet we continue to look for it in different things. And it's just like the most heartbreaking thing about being human of like, you know, all this, all of this thing that we need is just here in this moment always, but we miss it and we keep on missing it. And we spend our entire lives missing it. And we do all these other things to, to, to fill that, lack of presence that we're able to cultivate. So I'm kind of in that position right now, again, because I'm like, okay, I've done most of the things. I see in my life, I'm turning 38. I'm like, okay, the seeds that I've sown, everything's on an upward trajectory, my personal development, everything. But still my level of being able to be with myself is not there. And so I'm kind of in that way, I'm kind of in that transitioning phase again in my life. It'd be like, what's actually really important? I'm lucky that I've got all these things going on, but it's like, Waking up to a different reality that's, you know, none of this is really what brings happiness. And that happiness is always inside of us. There's things that we can do to share. And and that's what I've started to realize, like, man, what, what actually brings more. And I've been so lucky because I've got amazing friends that did this for me. One of my friends did this thing for me where he was just, he gave me a simple phone SIM. And that phone system didn't even cost him, literally cost him nothing. But every time I went around the world and I could just use that phone, I blessed him. I was like, oh man, thank God. And I was like, wait, so maybe there is something more to, to it than just having things for myself. Maybe there is more joy in being able to share things with others. So that's kind of where the path that I'm starting to move towards of cultivating that space of stillness within myself to know that, hey, you know, I find it's so interesting this is the thing what I was talking about earlier as the questions of why this is happening. It's like, why are we as a society so driven by success and ambition and having these things? What are the things that are missing that we're trying to fulfill? And that's what I'm learning. So I'm back in this really exciting phase of like, what's really meaningful, what's really giving value to life. And is it, it's not the path that I was headed down. So it's an exciting place to be in.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, man, I've, uh, I know, I know where you're at. (laughs) I haven't been a body, I've been a body painter, but um, certainly I've had, uh, I haven't been, I haven't done that, but certainly I've had my own experiences in those worlds that you're, um, that you're talking about. And certainly I've gotten to the end of, I've gotten to the end of the material journey and found that no peak experience is sustainable and that no accomplishment, you know, lasts more than a week off the high and, and there's a come down from every drug and and there's a and there's a, a breakup at the end of every sexual experience, except for mm-hmm. except for hopefully you know, marriage. But you know, yeah. and, and that depends on your view of marriage as well, like how you a lot of people view even marriage as temporary. Also, but you know that that it seems that in all the things that the world tells us we should be we should find fulfillment in that there's no durable fulfillment to be found in any of the things mm-hmm. in the world. And so then what do we do? Well, if we're very sincere about wanting to find answers, we turn, we turn inwards to try and find uh, the peace within, um, mm-hmm. the peace within ourselves, um, that we can't find in the outer world. And so I've walked, mm-hmm. I've walked that road as well. And so now I'm sort of at a, now I'm sort of at a place where it's like, well, you know, part of me, like half of me is, is like, well, you know, I, I, I can, I can talk about that. And, and part of me, um, is also out of respect to you wants to honor you in your path, and I'm I'm, I'm a little I'm a little conflicted with that because because I have walked that that road and and so while I I want to honor you I also mm-hmm. and I don't want to I don't want to give I, you know I, I hope you can understand like what I'm trying to say it's like ah there's a stay on that road don't just don't let like here this is what I did. I let my conscience continue to guide me in the way that your conscience has guided you. That you're like, this is not satisfying. Mm-hmm. I, I've done all the things. I've done, okay. And it's, it, it doesn't stick. The happiness mm-hmm. that I thought that I would get when I, would did th- when I did this, or I experienced that, or went there, or, or drank that, or smoked that, or whatever, mm-hmm. it doesn't stay. It goes mm-hmm. away. So where can I find something that's durable And I I continued to allow my conscience to guide me Mm -hmm. through that path, and I never quit. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, no, this is not the answer. This is still not the answer. Mm -hmm. And so ultimately, that led me to the one place, Mm -hmm. because I asked all the other questions, it led me to the one place that I was told never to go. Mm -hmm. And that that place was Christianity. That's the place you're never to go. And so Mm -hmm. I tried everything else. I, I was for I, I got to do it, and I was like, "It's," and that led me right to the edge. Like, well, maybe it's here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I and I and I I can say that um, I found what I was looking for. Wow. Yeah,
2: it's you know, it's yeah, it, it is the conscious being being guided by that. It's just so so beautiful to be able to to see that you know, step outside of yourself to be like, wow, just observe it to be like this person is just being guided by these values. It's, it's really really. Beautiful. So now I'm in this place of 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 you know what I discovered when I was asking these questions. I was like, wait, but none of this really means that much. So, and what I came to the the contemplation was 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 it came down to one word, and that was aloneness, and the two sides mm-hmm. of aloneness, the side of being unable to be alone with our minds and. This I think is like the cause. Co- so everything that we're I think so much of what we're seeing in society is actually not the cause. It's the symptoms, like this capitalism, this greed, this power, or this, you know, fear of this productivity, all the things that we that that we could say are the, you know, are, are the challenges of society, they're not the cause. There's something deeper there. Yes. And it has to be something simpler. It's like these are all things that we're doing to mask what's what's actually there. And what's actually there is that. We're, we're, this, this primal sense of disconnection of like not being cast away out of heaven or to be cast out of the divinity, but, but that divinity is always there. It's always been there. And it, and it, and so it's just to reestablish that connection with it. So the first side, these are the things that I'm committed to in my life. And, uh, uh you know, I'm sharing this uh, quite publicly. I've never really shared this with publicly. I've shared it with other people in my personal interactions, but never, you know, on, uh, In a way like this is like the two sides of aloneness. The one side of the aloneness is the inability to be in our own minds and be with ourselves, which is so difficult. It's like it's Mm -hmm. so difficult. I struggle with it so much. I struggle with it so much. And this is something that I practice. I'm like I practice this for hours, and I I I I do it, and I and I still struggle with it so much. I still struggle with it so much. And and this is what happens. That it this is what creates the compassion because you're like wow. You, I'm like, man, I practice this so much and I struggle with it so much. Imagine all the other people who aren't practicing or who don't have the privilege to, like, man, my morning routine, you know, I was making a joke about it. My morning routine, it does take me up till 2 p.m. I'm so lucky <laughs> that I've created a life that's like that, that I have the space mm. that I don't have kids. I don't have any responsibilities, all those things that I make jokes about. But like, imagine if I'm struggling with it, you know, not to say that I'm incredible, but just saying that i am I'm spending time and effort imagine what it's like for the other people i can't Mm -hmm. even imagine what like this is this 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 is the compassion part of it and then the other side of it so so that's kind of what my practice has been and 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 what i desire deeply is to so i'm studying mindfulness uh and i desire deeply to share this with with you know it's already happening all over the world uh not to say that i'm the savior bringing this or anything but i i i Mm -hmm. want to be I wanted to be accessible to more people, especially in, in, in Pakistan and in, in areas. Cause you know, I also had a cousin of mine that committed suicide, a teenage cousin. And mm-hmm. I can't imagine the pressures that teenagers now have on them. I don't know what it's like. I think you and I are close to the same age. I'm 38. How old are you?
0: I'm 45.
2: Okay. So uh, generally, you know, a couple of years, but like mm-hmm. kids growing up now with like all this, you know, bombardment with. With what there should be and what they should look like, and like all the stimulation in society is like, it's really, really, it's really, it's really bad. The state that it is is really, really bad. Like in our personal interactions, I could see it, like how overstimulated we are, how little that quality of presence that we have. Is is just so fleeting. So that's the side of it that I would like to make an impact of it within my life and with the life of others. The aloneness, and then the others, the inability to be alone, and then the other side of the aloneness is the fact that people are so isolated. Like now, more than ever, you know, I. Yeah. It'd be nice to say that in the east, in the east, we have a little bit of a, you know, again, this is generalization and, and part of my romanticization with the east as part of probably response to, you know, the internalized. Loathing and whatnot. I try not to look into too many layers, but there's this different way that we have of being with each other, and I find that that not to be the case uh, over here in the West. Because, like, I think people are just driven so deeply by. There's this thing that we have over there. It's like maybe you experienced it when you were in the Mela uh, in, in in the Comilla. It's just like there's this way that we can take care of each other that's unspoken that doesn't really exist out here. Over here, when I'm here, it's like if I don't do it, I'm dead. So we're constantly. All my friends are constantly like we're all, and these are like conscious, really amazing dudes. Like we're all yeah. still trying to do the gather as much resources, and like if we're lucky, by the time we're forty five, we figured out the money equation, and then we start to do the passions, and then we start to do our missions and our dreams. But first, we're still all living under this thing. So I found that that's the other part of it is that's missing. Again, it's like if if our minds can be still, and if we are embedded in a deep web of relationships. So much of what we're seeing in society, and I'm seeing in my life, can really—I I really do believe that the, these two sides of it. I, I'm, I'm sure you know. I'm open to hearing other uh, other components to it, but I think that these are two real major ingredients of like having deep human connections and being able to be alone with yourself. And I think that's what I'm—I'm uh, I'm really driven by, and that's what I would like to make a meaningful contribution in life. those two areas.
0: Yeah. The, I, I completely agree that, that thank you for calling out the hyper individual individualism of the West, where it's like, I gotta get mine, I gotta get mine. And it's not that we all just wake up and decide that one day we're we gotta no. get ours. This is the culture of living in the United States as uh-huh. we take our, our individualism is at once our greatest uh-huh. blessing and it's also uh-huh. our greatest burden because uh-huh. in the United States, this is this is one of the things that I observe while traveling. Like if you grow up in a small town and India or China or yeah. pick, pick any, pick any developing nation, right? Yeah. If you grew up in a small town and you want to move to the big city, depending on the uh, almost, depending on the religious or cultural background of your parents, if you do that, they will tell you at like, you're dead to us. You don't yeah. leave your town, right? Yeah. Like our culture says you can't leave. Our religion says yeah. you can't leave our family. No one leaves. We stay here. Mm-hmm. And anyone who leaves is thereby dead to us cuz mm-hmm. only someone who's dead would leave, right? Mm-hmm. So but in America the it's it's exactly opposite. Whereas if you grow up in a small town and you want to go to the big city, mm-hmm. there is not a single claim that anyone can make on you that can mm-hmm. hold you back. And that's a big source of the romanticization of the American mm-hmm. culture mm-hmm. of like our individualism runs so deep into our into our bones into our marrow that's mm-hmm. that's who we are. There's a great blessing in that, and that it makes America a very innovative country. Yeah. But there's a very there's enormous psychological burden, like there is, I'm yeah. on my own, I right? Be. That that when you go to another country and you see the hospitality, yeah. and you see particularly Muslim countries, that be, and, and India as well, they yes. could be so hospitable and yeah. so warm. Please yeah. come in. Here's my yeah. entire family. Yeah. Right, we don't have that here. Yeah, but because they, they have the communal uh-huh. thing. Which can be toxic and destructive in its own way, exactly right, as you experienced. Mm-hmm. But there's that blessing. We traded all that for hyper individualism, mm-hmm. and we've we're now discovering we have discovered the the mm-hmm. great limits of that. Yeah, as you are, because once you get all the stuff, yeah, why am I still not happy? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> because I feel alone. Right. Don't get me wrong; I still
2: want more stuff, but I know that. Of course, <laughs> yeah. Don't we all? Yeah, of yeah. course yeah but you know that's really it and it's really fascinating seeing uh, it's like even in these healing communities what i see is people talk all about communities but i'm like yo you guys it's so fascinating the levels of uh the unconsciousness that we have the inherent so first of all another interesting thing is like this idea of a country is developing right so why is a country developing it's because it's primarily because it's poor so it's so fascinating that the that this is how deep those patriarchal conditioning goes that our worth is equated by how much money we make. You know, is that in many oh, cases, uh, yes, in many cases, you know, and it's just like, wait, could it be that they're not as financially developed? Who's to say that this country is not developed because you're only measuring them from mostly a uh, financial economic? So, uh, political right. I mean, I mean, econo- I mean, economically, economically developed. But yes. that's what I mean. It's like, it's a, such a nuance in our language that it's just like, oh, it's, it's, it's a development. But like, what if we had going back, 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 our, our measure of what development meant was how we take care of human beings and how many homeless people there are. Like it be, it's, it's just really interesting to see that level of, uh, of, of conditioning that we have. Um, and you had mentioned another point there. I, it seemed to be escaping me at this point. Um, uh, you'd said about being
0: outcast. What was the last point you mentioned? About being communal living versus individualized. Communal, yes, yes. So that's the other thing. It's really fascinating. Especially in when New York. I, but yeah, when I come here, it's
2: like I hear people talking about communities, especially spiritual communities, and people doing. But I'm like, you know, this is when I was living in 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 Tulum. This is one of the reasons why I left. It was so difficult. I found myself so isolated. The only way that I could yeah. be around other human beings was if I was doing medicine, or if I was paying exactly. to go to events. And I'm like, wait, what happened to human beings just hanging out? what a lot of the spiritual communities consider as community are just customers. They're not community. It's like, it's people who pay to be a part of your life. And it's just so fascinating to see. And it's, you know, I'm seeing that people are starting to sense that, wait, what we think is community is actually not community. It's like, what is that word? What does this word mean? And like, what does it mean to be in communion with each other? And people are starting to question that because it's not what they thought it was
0: right that's right you're talking about the isolation like there's a, the two halves of isolation one is isolation from each other mm-hmm. and also our inability to be with ourselves mm-hmm. and there's a real restlessness of soul that mm-hmm. gets created like mm-hmm. why can't my soul come to rest mm-hmm. right why can't i come into why can't i come into reconciliation with mm-hmm. myself mm-hmm. why can't i come into reconciliation with others including people who i don't necessarily agree with or who i have grievances against
3: mm-hmm. and
0: why can't i come into reconciliation with the way things are mm-hmm. and that deep restlessness of soul is so powerful and and that's that's what the <laughs> conscience that we're talking about picks up on it's like mm-hmm. this is not right something the pieces are not fitting like the Mo- morpheus says in the matrix like a splinter mm-hmm. in your mind driving you mad mm-hmm. you put all the pieces together it's like something still doesn't fit yeah and that's that's that's, that's the essence of the of the Sincere heart of, of a spiritual journey in the, in, the, in the broadest sense.
2: Wow. Yeah. You know, even with that sometimes I wonder is like, is this just, an, uh, and that's what I'm examining is like, is that also just a response of my inability to be with where I am and what it is right now? So again, cultivating both those sides of it, like being drawn, being driven by that gut feeling while at the same time being able to be there with all of it in every moment. That's that's where
0: the practice is hmm Yeah, and, and also like, what does it all mean, right? Not just mm-hmm. like, how do I be with with myself and and my life and my choices? Like, what does this whole life thing mean? Why mm-hmm. why are we here? Why am I? Why do I? Why care? <laughs> right? Like, why mm-hmm. answer? Why even ask the questions? Right? You, I'm sure you know a lot of people in your world who are like, what? It, like, they would they would laugh at you asking deep questions like this. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you mean? I'm here to get money and get drunk and. You know, maybe pop out a few kids, or maybe party until until I can't anymore. It's like, like there's like, there's got to be something, but people like uh, like you and I uh, think me are like, well, there's deeper questions about meaning and existence here that are swimming around all of this. Why am I the way that I am? Why did I make the decisions I did? Why did my dad make the decisions he did? Why is my country the way it is? These all these questions are very linked to our to our inability of our soul to find rest. Some some many of us. Yeah, it's really
2: fascinating. I also try at the same time to not make it about an identity. It either going to asking these questions, but it just kind of naturally occurs. So uh, mm-hmm. it's it's kind of seemed to lead me in interesting places, and I just it's nice. I don't know. It's just I can't help it. <laughs> it just happens.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I know it's getting a little bit late there, but um, mm-hmm. but just to, just just curious, like what what your what like I know that you said that you don't try, you don't think a couple years out, but like. If you could have it all your way, what would happen with these characters that you've created? What would they represent to you and, oh. and to your life and to the people around you?
2: Well, one of the things, so so one of so one of the things as I mentioned is about is about the the, the other side of the aloneness is is in relations. Mm. Uh, is I these to be ways in which uh, they heal relations of human beings, relations with ourselves, the relations that we have with the people in the environment around us. One of the ones that I'm really really excited about is the, is the character of Tantric Dave. It's like I would like to. What I'm moving towards is is creating spaces for healing of relations between men and women, uh, and using comedy mm. as a vehicle for that. So that's one of the things I'm really really passionate about, uh, and I've contributed towards it on both sides of it, on both sides of the equation. Sure. And so I would love like this would be my dream because like I was like okay I could do the stand up and like you know. Getting over the fact that it's difficult, but I was like, I don't think it would mean that much other than that. Oh, people like me, and I was funny. I was like, this is like this is what's so deep with me. It's like if I could use art in a way, or a you know a, a, a skill that I have or a talent that I have in a way that makes a difference in something that I really care about, which is art. I really care about the relationship between men, and because uh, I found it to be. The cause of you know, and that that'll lead us to a, a whole other podcast because I know you have a lot to say about that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, if you want, to it briefly. Uh, sure. Yeah, it's just like it's been the cause of so much of my like relations in general. And then where the relations get the most complex I've experienced for myself is where it's the most different is with uh, with women. So I'm like, wow, we can't. It's like we can't live with them, we can't live without them, but we have to learn to live with them and like be able to appreciate like. The gift that each of us is for each other you know the gift that we have that we were incarnated into this existence to give to each other uh it's like there's there's nothing like it man. this is this is what all those battles have been fought this is where all those people left their 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 tribe to go for you know this is where all those epic empires were built and fought against it's just that that reverence of that woman you know of the, of that divine feminine whatever the, it and as I speak about these, I might make some, you know, I'll put my foot in my mouth in, in, with, with all the genders and the masculinity and the femininity and all those things. And uh, I'll be the first one to admit, I'm not, you know, I'm not really, uh, I'll make mistakes in all those things. But that deep yearning for that other half, we will call it, or to be experienced mm-hmm. through that is like, it's just, it drives all of us in such a deep way as as part of that souls, you know, the thing that you were saying uh, of like, that reconciliation, and I think this reconciliation is is built into us, and and it's like you know it's like the most incredible moments that we have, whether or not wherever you lie in your spectrum of sex and sexuality, is that 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 space that you were in with your mother, you know, at least till now, all of us were born to uh, a, 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 in a woman's womb, that space that we had, we all remember that that primordial space of that just peace and that bliss. That we're a part of, that we again, I think connects back to the soul part, is like us trying to reconcile that. And so, I would really, I see the comedy making a difference. That would be the most meaningful for me, you know. All the fame and stuff doesn't matter. Uh, You know, get me uh, as long as it gets me more women. But uh, I think, (laughs) I think what I really would care about is what would make me really, really happy is if I can make a, a mark in that aspect uh, for people. And what I would really like to see that happening is entire communities partaking in that and us healing these relations. And I've experienced that. I've experienced it. I've studied it. I know it's possible. I study it and I experience it continuously and I still make mistakes in it, but I still experience it continuously. And is yeah. So I would like to see the comedy make a difference over there. Um, that's the only one that I've really thought about. Uh, I try to leave it up open. Cause like, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know who's going to see it. I don't know what's going to happen. It's all part of, you know, in my life, I'm just kind of, it goes back to that instant. I'm just like a bumbling idiot. I just kind of do things. And then I look back at it and I always figure out, oh sh- crap, that's what it was. That's why I was doing it. You know, for example, like my clothing line, when I designed it, never thought I was going to be a designer ever. And my clothes are primarily bought by people that travel to luxury places and that yeah. go to Burning Man. I didn't know what Burning Man was. I'd never seen Burning Man. Never even heard of it. I'd never been to a tropical location outside because I was a Pakistani that couldn't travel anywhere. So all these things, these, these natural inclinations that I move towards, I just I just follow the flow of it. And it's only when I look back, I'm like, oh, that's what happened. So I'm kind of like this bumbling fool that's just lost and you know, drunk on 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 his own potion and just going all ahead with it. So I have no idea where it's going to go, and I know. I know for sure it's only going to go in incredible places, and I just hope that it makes an impact for people and it can be uh, it can uplift people because the one side of it is like it's it's hard to hear for some people, and I don't want to put people down, uh, but I just hope that it contributes meaningfully to our relations and our ability to be with each other and to be with ourselves and to be really truthful with ourselves.
0: Yeah, that's everything them that about. Reconciliation between men and women, yeah. with ourselves, yeah. with our relationships, and our yeah, and our relationship with God and the divine. Like all yeah. like that is everything. Yeah. Everything that I've been about, and as f- for as long as I've known that I've been about or anything.
2: Wow, that's really profound. You know, I've had that part of the religious reconciliation as well because that was, that's one of the biggest traumas that we have. You know, uh, and it's been really fascinating approaching these things growing up in a way where I was like, wait, we're so violent and we're so oppressive and all of these things, and then you know, having approached it from different uh, uh, different perspectives, I studied a little bit of, you know, Buddhism, a little bit of Hinduism, not nothing too extensively, uh, but enough to be a, a coach. And, uh, and, and uh, I just looked at these and I was like, wow, it's, it's, it's when we start to develop, like what's actually being said here? What's the essence of the message? And, you know, yeah. being able to take it with a little bit of grain of salt, but like finding the essence. So it's, it's this really exciting period that I imagine other people are on as well. is like this recalibration of all these things that we thought were good or weren't good. And we're like, okay, well, this works. And now, you know, when you're at a certain age and hopefully you've had some more experiences that you're like, okay, I'm like, okay, I see some things that work over here. Like, you know, nothing's all bad or all good. It's like, you know, the American society and the Western society is really amazing at certain. And the Eastern side is really amazing at certain things. And what does that reconciliation look like? And how can we reconcile with all these, you know, these traumas of power, of authority, of of money, of sex, of religion, of God and race. And and that's, I think that just kind of ends up being the physical journey of the, the actual journey that we are living and through which we get an opportunity to be back into our our holy state.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and the, You're sort of making me realize uh, there's there's a couple there's a couple different answers in the world of spirituality to this, and, and one is to, one is that we have to escape reality, right? That's that's sort of that's a little mm-hmm. bit what Buddhism says is you have to untie the knot of your own consciousness, mm-hmm. right? And this is the the strange the strange contradiction that lives at the heart of the new age world. Like we're trying to cultivate ourselves to be, be better, and at the same time we're trying to get enlightenment and to unwind our consciousness entirely. Like those, yeah, are, those exactly. two goals are going. The, Well, that's those are the those are the enlightenment and betterment, but those two things are completely contradictory. Um, Mm -hmm. And and the other is the other is to have such a profound contact with reality and punch through it all to see um, to see uh, to see the creator behind it, and uh, and to understand how the creator opens uh, opens up a way for us to come into reconciliation with him and to find meaning that way. Mm -hmm. And those are the two paths. Um, And so. I've, I've walked the other path and reached the end of it. And so I, I chose the second one.
3: Nice.
2: Well, that's beautiful mm. for you. I'm really happy to hear that. And may people be yeah. able to find whatever it is that they believe will, will lead them to that for themselves. And we, may we all be able to be peaceful with ourselves. And, and you know, it doesn't, I don't even have to say the other because one more peaceful with ourselves. That's, that's, that's all, all of it's encompassed in that.
0: Yeah. Like keep asking hard questions, don't ever stop asking hard questions and don't be afraid of the answers that's the most important that's the most important thing for people of conscience is like okay what's the hard question here and let me ask this question and answer it and not to be afraid of the answer not to ever be afraid of of the truth and that's 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 how we can guide our lives and our society back um again because we we live um, um, there's a longer conversation here obviously for the next time but um the lies are pervasive, and so we have to punch through them all with, our, with the power of our conscience to truth. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Also, awesome. yeah. Well, thank you so much for for being so generous yeah. with your time and with your energy and with yeah. your effort getting ready for that little skit. Thank you so much. I didn't anticipate okay. that we were talking until yeah. ten o'clock your time, but I've really, really, super enjoyed this. Uh, I really I, enjoyed this a part. spontaneous philosophical discussion. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Go ahead. I feel like we could we could continue going into it, but my yeah. I, my room
2: my friend's house that I've overtaken is just sitting in the corner over there. I was like, I'm doing a podcast. You just make yourself silent. Uh, yeah. I, it's been it's been really really beautiful. I can see, you know, this is just the thing. One of those examples of like things happen. There's an appreciation and a connection, and you only find out later on. Like you're looking back, and like, oh, of course we get along. These are the things. These are the things that we share and value. Uh, the same values that we share. So it's been really, it's been really a pleasure uh, to, to be able to share, have the space to share and to be able to chat about all that. Uh,
0: yeah, super, super appreciative of, uh, of your time and generosity of spirit and your Likewise. sharing. So yeah, and, and there's much more to talk about. That would be great over, a, over a, not a whiskey. So yeah, that would yeah, be yeah. a great conversation for us to have yeah. uh, personally sometime. So where would you like to send uh, men to find out more about you and what you do?
2: Well, I wouldn't just say men. I think just anyone. I yeah, mean, I haven't, I, I haven't... My heard, listeners. Yeah, you know what? It's it's like it's this gradual unveiling that's happening. So people don't really know that I do a lot of the things that I do. Uh, uh, you know, like with, with the work between men and women. And I used to, I used to comment it from this perspective. And this is another space that I'm, that I'm finding out. It's like, what's the space of trust versus achievement? Because in certain cultures, Mm certain space is just all about, you know, you have the will to power and there that plays a role, but I don't know. So I I trust that it's going to unfold in the way that it needs to unfold, um, with respect to the relation, the relational work, uh, you know, and, 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 just to speak a point to the relation work, it's not about me being a therapist or counselor for people. It's about using community as a way of doing that is using community as a way of holding that space because, you know, it takes a, like I say, it takes a village to raise a child. And, and we used to be embedded in these deep relations where in a web of relations that held an individual, but ever since we traded those, you know, the, 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 we for the I, we got so much out of it. You know, we got all these amazing appliances and screens and all these things and, uh, but we traded that. And, and so I think is that this is also why, we, so why do we need so many coaches in relationship? It's like once we get embedded back into this relationship of, and we have shared values of what we're trying to achieve, whether that's through a religion or through a personal set of values. Like there's so much magic going to happen, so I think people just keep just keep playing along with me, and you're gonna see all of it being unveiled as I see it unveiled because I don't know what's happening either. I'm just bubbling through it. Right. Uh, I think for for now, Instagram is a, is is a great place to be. There's a mailing list there so that you can be more intimately connected with it. Uh, hmm. But yeah, that's 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 really where it is, and uh, I'm, I'm really also so grateful to for people that play along with me uh, and just uh, right. are a part of this with me. It's so amazing to like ask these questions and to have, uh, yeah, all of it.
0: Yeah, that's, I've, I've really enjoyed this whole conversation. It's been like playtime. It's like we can, yeah. we can play with the character during the, during the yeah. skit and then we can, we, can, we can play with ideas here. So and this, has is, been this equally, is everything it's about.
2: Yeah, the, the second part of it, it's been equally as fun. So it's so beautiful to be able to have spaces to, to delve into all these things uh, that, are, that I find interesting.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And please thank your friend on behalf oh, of me and all the listeners.
2: Yeah, all the listeners, thank you for for letting me use your house. Yeah, he's going to be famous. He doesn't know it yet. Very nice. Thank you. Exactly. Thank you, Will. I really appreciate, I appreciate it. it. Ciao, Bert.